tonight, a show that's so good, it's going once, going twice, no sale, here on Game Shows, I suppose. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Niche Podcast about the one thing that I know something about, game shows. I suppose I'm your host, Jordan Haas. We have a fun episode today. The game show man himself, Joe Van Ginkle, will be joining the studio today to talk about Sale of the Century, the quiz show with a twist. And it's just a fun show. I can't wait to talk about it. But before we get to the fame game, we got to get through the shame game it's the news segment <sighs> today's just today's has not been my day it really hasn't like i already recorded the game sh- like the news segment twice now one did not pick up the audio it was too low the other time i recorded it and then suddenly all hell broke loose like three news stories all after the other and i i don't I I have to like stop and record everything again. So, all right, let me see if I can remember everything. I was going to talk about the Chuck Woolery retweet because Donald Trump retweets Chuck Woolery. We already know Chuck Woolery is a piece of shit and an asshole and an idiot and all that other shit. And like, I, I, he he is basically somebody who is basically at the last leg of his entertainment career. And like most failed entertainers, he goes into punditry uh, and conservatism. Why? Because you get to be a reactionary and it makes a lot of money. I feel bad about that, but I don't feel bad for Chuck Woolery. He's a piece of shit. Please listen to your doctor. Please listen to everyone. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Do not be indoors for more than 15 minutes. The usual stuff. Stay the fuck home. I know it's frustrating and sad, but please just stay the fuck home. Uh, Chuck Woolery, uh, I don't know, he's, he's gonna probably sell, uh, hand cream next. Tom Bergeron is no longer gonna be hosting Dancing with the Stars, was the big news I had for the day. Just informed Dancing NBC will be continuing without me. It's been an incredible 15-year run and the most unexpected gift of my career. I'm grateful for that and the lifelong friendships made. That said, now what am I supposed to do with all these glitter masks? And I was trying to be like, well, why did he quit? Why did he get fired? What what was the cause? Because he was making fun of Donald Trump. And my guess is, if I had to take a stab in the dark, Tom Bergeron made fun of Donald Trump. And Dancing with the Stars had a lot of Trumpy people showing up. Like, recently, Spicer was on there. And you have a lot of, basically, Republican senators and politicians ending up on that show to try and rebrand their image from ghoul that decides to kill off, uh, you know, gay rights and trans rights 
and saying really offensive shit on Twitter because they want to refix their career. So they go on Dancing with the Stars. Tom Bergeron clearly doesn't like that. And I'm thinking he got into a confrontation with the producers and that's what led to his device. And then I was going to be like, well, who's going to be the new host of Dancing with the Stars? And well, apparently according to TMZ, uh, that's going to be uh, Tyler Banks. Tyra Banks is going to be the new host of Dancing with the Stars uh, as the new host and executive producer. I I don't... If it's one thing I learned about Tyra Banks, she's not really the best host on anything that's not about modeling. Like, she's great on Top Model, but I did not really care for her role in America's Got Talent. I think that she has a lot of personality, and she's a great figurehead. But when you're dealing with something like Dancing with the Stars, which is a dance show and a numbers and let's talk to the judges, she's not that kind of presenter, I don't think. So this seems like an odd fit. Uh, But maybe they're trying to refresh the show, and they're thinking, well, Tyra's still hip and kids, and maybe kids will watch it because Tyra's there. I don't know. I the only thing I really hope doesn't happen is this is kind of like a Disney diversity thing and like this is going to become a racial issue the Tyra gets the job because black woman I something tells me that's going to be the case and I'm going to be sick to my stomach because Tyra is a good host she's a good person it's just Dancing with the Stars is a kind of a crappy dance show. I really care for Dancing with the Stars. It always felt like celebrity embarrassment and Strictly Come Dancing is nearly the same. But you don't have a Bruce Forsyth kind of character here. Uh, if it was me and I had the call, it would be Carrie Ann. I would just get Carrie Ann and Tabella to be the host of Dancing with the Stars and just keep it going. But hey, it's Tyra. Good job, Tyra. Maybe it'll be Tyra. I don't I don't fucking know anymore. Um Anyway, speaking of celebrity shows, uh did you ever hear a fun show called Wild and Out, the hilarious improvisational comedy show? Well, uh Nick Cannon's no longer with the show. Uh performer Nick Cannon, according to Newsweek, this is a Newsweek article. Nick Cannon was dropped by Viacom CBS on Tuesday after he refused to apologize for anti-Semitic comments made on his podcast. Cannon made comments while interviewing public enemy member Professor Griff in a June episode of Cannon's Class. Griff was fired from the rap group after a 1989 interview in which he blamed Jewish people for the majority of wickedness that goes on across the globe. So, anti-Semitic remarks got them fired got him fired um cannon said that the semitic people are black people you can't be anti-semitic when we are the semitic people cannon continued when we are the same people they want to be that's our birthright this is like offensive shit what the fuck cannon also said black people were the true hebrews i'm just reading the newsweek article folks um cannon had a Long working relationship with Viacom CBS, including hosting programs on company-owned networks like MTV and Nickelodeon. In 2007, 
Cannon was named the chairman of Nickelodeon's young adult programming platform, Teen Nick. Cannon won a Congressional Rising Award in 2009 for his accomplishments in reaching young people. While we support ongoing education and dialogue in the fight against bigotry, we're deeply troubled that Nick has failed to acknowledge or apologize for potentially anti-Semitism, and we're terminating our relationship with him. Read a Tuesday statement from Viacom CBS. Keenan spoke about the controversy on his Facebook page, saying he meant no harm by the comments. Anyone who knows me knows that I have no hate in my heart, nor malice intentions. Can said on a Monday Facebook post, I do not condone hate speech nor the spread of hateful rhetoric. We are living in a time when it's more important than ever to promote unity and understanding. Ken also said that African-Americans and the people of the Jewish community have partnered to create some of the best, most revolutionary work we know today. Ken is currently the host of The Mass Singer on Fox. Newsweek reached out to Fox for comment. Uh, nothing came with that so far. During the podcast episode, Cannon appeared to defend the controversial leader of the Nation of Islam, Minister Louis Farrakhan. Every time I've heard him speak, Cannon said of Farrakhan, it's positive, it's powerful, it's uplifting. Farrakhan has been singled out by the Southern Poverty Law Center as an anti-Semitic extremist. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, Farrakhan adheres to a theory that blames Jews for the American slave trade. In a Monday tweet, CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, John Greenblatt, called on Cannon to educate himself. Truly disturbing that Nick Cannon would use his platform to perpetuate false anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and lift up the vehemently anti-Semitic Louis Farrakhan. Greenblatt wrote, he should apologize immediately and educate himself on why his comments are so harmful. I, and then there's a lot of anti-Semitism comments on the Newsweek comment sections. Why does news need comment sections? I don't give a shit what you think if, if we're doing a news article. I don't give a shit. This is what the news is getting at. Comments aren't going to add to that news story. It's going to be just weird-ass uh, people who need friends. So, no word yet on if Nick Cannon is losing uh, the Masked Singer position. Let me just refresh just in case. Uh, currently, nothing about him being fired from the Masked Singer. I'm refreshing that page as much as I can. Who knows? Maybe next week he's getting the boot. Maybe within 24 hours, Fox is going to sever ties before the next season of The Masked Singer, in which case we got to assume who's going to host it, in which case congrats to Tom Bergeron. You got your job back. You're doing The Masked Singer. Uh, that is going to be probably like Ken Jong or Robin Thicke or somebody who's already on the show. Next. Uh, okay, so there's a lot of great news here. Lots of news to to dissect here uh so after all that that weird stuff uh okay we got jesus christ uh survivors pulled from cbs false schedule uh survivor will no longer be a part of cbs's false schedule as a result of covid19 production shutdown as swamp moves up Producers had hoped to get Survivor up and running in the hit the fault deadline, but will not make it on time. The network said that producers are continuing to work with the officials in Fiji on the appropriate time to start production with health and safety measures its top priority. A show called Survivor, and they're taking safety into precaution. 
This show, which is executive produced by Jeff Probst, Mark Burnett, and Matt Van Wagenen, will set to air 8 p.m. on Wednesdays, but the upcoming season, The Amazing Race, will move from 9 p.m. to 8 p.m. to fill in its space. The fourth season of SEAL Team will move up an hour. Okay. Well, the move marks the first broadcast network rejig as the coronavirus continues to cause problems with production. Expect a few more before the year is out. That was from Deadline. Okay, good. Uh, according to C21, Divide is coming to Cambodia. Well, we'll move on now. Next, uh, from Complex Hot Ones, the game show season one continues with more new episodes. Uh, the game showified version of Hot Ones with Sean Evans continues this summer on True TV with fetch new episodes of season one. Over the next ten weeks, hot sauce enthusiasts will be gifted with tightly packed package editions of Hot Ones the game show. Posting all new contestants, reaction moments, and, though it should go without saying at this point, additional helpings of heat. To celebrate the show's return, Evans, alongside fans and special celebrity guests, have put together a limited edition quarantine friendly series for socials called Home Ones. This week's guest was Jay Farah. So, that's that's nice. And then they're selling the hot sauces. They're showing a link to the hot sauces at Heatonist. Um, you can buy the three pack of Brain Burner, Eye of the Scorpion, and the Constrictor for the low, low price of sixty dollars. I look, I like hot sauces, but like, I'm not, I'm probably not gonna buy it. Okay, next, uh, some British news. Let's do some British game show news. Michael McIntyre lands brand new BBC game show. Truly amazing, fun, laughter, and tension for the whole family. Michael McIntyre is set to front a BBC project. This time it's called The Wheel. Broadcast Saturday nights in lasting an hour. Game show The Wheel will run for 10 episodes, with no release date or specific format details confirmed. Uh, it's hosting a show that events real. Contestants will be competing to win big money. Celebrity experts will have their knowledge put to the test, and I'll desperately try to avoid too many puns. I simply can't wait to get behind the wheel. I'm dizzy with excitement. <sighs> All right. Uh, Dan Baldwin uh, is reunited with Michael McIntyre for the game show. Think of the most ex uh, exciting funfair ride. Put the world's best comedian in the center of it and throw in a collection of brilliant celebrity experts. Welcome to the wheel. The Wheel is the second title to be announced by BBC in just a week following mystery music show I Can See Your Voice, which is that Korean game show that they're trying to adapt because, hey, if it worked with The Masked Singer, we can try with To Tell the Truth Music Edition. This was from Digital Spy. All right, next. Ryan Clark Neal gets another game show because, of course, he will. He's Ryan. Hello, lovelies. All right, so Ryland's new show is... God, fuck off. God damn. Damn the shitty fucking game shows. <sighs> Ryan Clark Neal will front a new one-off game show. Okay, it's one episode. One. Pays to behave on Channel 4 for parents to win cash prizes. 31-year-olds. He's fucking 31. He's 31 hosting like 17 fucking game shows, and I'm here schlepping about 17 other game shows. All right, 
Uh, Rylan will put parents to the test for a chance to win some cash in the one-off Channel 4 show on July 24th. But they won't know it's a game show until they complete the tasks. The program will follow families as they believe they're being filmed for a documentary on the best way to raise their kids. But Ryan will be secretly putting them through the rounds where they have to parent their children and communicate with them properly to win the cash prize. What? Once the games are finished, Ryland will then reveal his big secret to the children to discuss how their parents have done. They will then go to a live studio and find out how much money they have bagged themselves. Why? So it's a pilot. You're, you're, air, you're doing an air, aired pilot. All right. The news of this latest show comes after Ryland uh, scored another bagged another bag like a shopping bag of supermarket sweep in the itv2 series will move to primetime spot on itv proper the popular game show is announced by dale winton was rebuilt last year with celebrity brother start the helm and bosses have decided to promote the program from itv2 to the main channel for a second series i haven't okay so now it becomes um soup supermarket sweep talk okay next uh okay so uh oh boy game night so british game shows comedy game night is the brand new show from our friends at viacom cbs the uk version of hollywood game night nbc's show game night is moving from channel five remember that channel to comedy central in the uk as Viacom CBS's director programs makes his mark on the expanded role. Welcome to Comedy Game Night for Comedy Central. It used to be called Celebrity Game Night over in the UK. Now it's just Comedy Game Night because we love to laugh. We love to laugh. Lisa Tarbuck will continue to host the show I Loved Her on Taskmaster. And she's a very great stand-up comedian. But team captains Danny Baker and Susan Coleman will be replaced by not... Man, we're really going to get rid of Susan Coleman? I liked her. Uh, Sue Perkins and Goose Khan. Imagine that. You get to do funny games with the former presenter of Great British Bake Off. They will go head-to-head in a series of games which will test their pop culture knowledge, acting skills, and nerves. Uh, Monkey kingdom's creative director will mcdonald said the health and safety of everyone working on productions including both talent and crew remains our top priority thanks to amazing work of the production team and all departments who have made the show safe to film and have found creative solutions to playing the games this series is even bigger and better than the first is it is it Comedy Game Night was commissioned by Sebastian Carwell for Viacom CBS, while McDonald is executive producer. Game Night is distributed globally by NBC Universal Formats, based by Sean Hayes and his party show, his lucrative dance parties. So yay! I mean, like, I think that's fun. It's like Hollywood Game Night is in the UK, and I thought they canceled the show. It sounds to me like they didn't cancel it. They just removed it and reformatted it to be comedy. Speaking of Hollywood Game Night, as you've already known, because we've already talked about that, I think, Jane Lynch is the new host of The Weakest Link. Last week, we talked about the revival of Weakest Link. We found our host. It's not me. It never will be me. Never for these things. It never is. It's Jane Lynch, though. Jane Lynch is the new host of The Weakest Link coming soon to nbc uh it's going to be 13 episodes of the rapid fire quiz show 
Uh, in this uh, quick plays pillars, the BBC format with a few modern twists, the hybrid game shows use contestants answer general knowledge questions to make prize money across multiple rounds. At the end of each round, the contestants vote who they perceive to be the weakest link. And now here is Jane Lynch, who at one point said, I don't like game shows, but we'll see what she says now. I've been a longtime fan of this game-changing quiz show since it first debuted, said Lynch. Each time the phrase, you are the weakest link goodbye, passes my lips, it will be a great reverence and delight. Weakest Link became an instant fan favorite when it first entered our network, and we're excited to bring a fresh new take to the timeless format, said Meredith Eyre, president of Reality and Alternative for NBC Entertainment. Jane Lynch has been a beloved staple in her NBC family for years, and her sharp wit and engaging personality will be the perfect match for this highly entertaining game show. Weakest Link is the iconic format the BBC studios have distributed across the globe for the past two decades, capturing audiences and earning a place in pop culture history, said Mart, uh, Matt Forty. Managing Director International of BBC Studios. Our Los Angeles production arm is proud to partner with NBC to bring the fastest and fiercest game show to TV back to America. And Jane Lynch is the ideal host to bring her own signature brand of fearless comedy to this fresh version of Weakest Link. According to Deadline, this is the show... In each episode, a contestant's inner studio is total strangers, but must work together to bank the maximum amount of prize money available in each round. The contestants take turns to answer general knowledge questions to build change of correct answers. Consecutive correct answers greatly increase the value of the chain, while incorrect answers break the chain and force the contestants to start over with the lowest rung and the smallest amount of money. At the end of each round, contestants vote to eliminate the fellow contestant they consider to be the weakest link in the chain. The contestant receives the highest number of votes, leaves the game, and the host declares the iconic phrase, you are the weakest link, goodbye. Uh, the original run launched April 16th, 2001. Uh, weakest link is now casting right now. Uh, so, I mean, I'm okay with Jane Lynch hosting this. I think that's, just, that's actually a perfect uh, vessel for her because her whole typecasted personality is that of the mean lady. Like, think Sue Sylvester and Glee. Think uh, what she was in first season of Hollywood Game Night. The You really fucked that up in this game. The, I think she's going to still do that on Weakest Link. She's not going to be Ann Robinson, you know, dr like just say absolutely nothing, frowny face. She's going to have a big smile on her face, kind of like herself, like you normally. And then she's going to be like, I, you had a chance at $125,000 and you fucked it up. And you only got 10000 Who is not really worth the cheddar? It's time to vote out who you think is the weakest link. And then smile. I think that's going to be what weakest link will be under Jane Lynch. Uh, I mean, it's great. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> now what do I fucking host? I just realized that, like, oh. I, uh, the cube... Jordan for the cube. Oh, wait, no. They're filming the cube right now. They have casting notices for the American version of the cube with pairs. And not only that, they're on the they're trying to fast pass this. You know what they're they're trying to fucking do? And this is where it's like I'm kind of in shock, even though I I fucking love the cube. It's one of my favorite game shows. They're offering a million pound prize on the cube. So now that's telling me they're going to make a million dollar prize on the American format and just do like ladder rinse repeat what the British version did in America. Like nothing changes other than the pound signs, the dollar sign. 
just like in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire US, because I think the Cube wants to be the millionaire for skill games. And they are and I honestly hope they don't fumble it. Because what made the cube work was the tech. It's the games are so simple played inside the cube and it's the technology of the super zooms, the super slow-mos, the 360 cameras. And something is just, I don't know, something's just telling me they're going to cheapen the show in that regard. They're going to focus it on the drama of the pairs and the contestants. And they're going to have games like, well, uh, Jordan and other Jordan, you have a wall and a ball. One of you must throw the ball over the wall while the other one catches the wall without seeing it. If you drop the ball, you will lose a life. Something like that. Or it's going to be like a uh, uh, connection. Each of you will be blindfolded, holding a metal pole. You must continue to walk towards each other, making sure it makes a tight connection. If you miss, you will lose a life. Because it's too... I, I, I like with solo. I feel like playing two people is a little more claustrophobic, but we're, I don't know. I'm starting to lose my faith in the cube. And it, I feel weird, too, because like this is a game show. I love game shows, and this is one of my favorite game shows. And now it's like, what the fuck do I host? Now it's like, now it's like adding insult to fucking injury here. It's like, yeah, I'm ending my game show podcast. Oh, by the way, uh, Jane Lynch is hosting week. Like, okay, well, that's great. Also, this is happening. So good. We're just going to end my, I'm running it low on my podcast, and we're just going to continue with like all this news story right when I'm about to fucking walk out the door because I finished the pricing game spotlights. Like that's, that's what we're doing. Jesus. No wonder no one listens to this show. Uh, next, uh, Wham! HBO Greenlight second series of Legendary. <laughs> That's not the show I wanted. I wanted it to be Craftopia, not f- not Legendary. Legendary is okay. I'm not going to be like pissed off about this, but come on. Uh this, this sucks. Anyway, speaking of suck, uh, Our Truth Game Show now available on WWE Network. It's the WWE Superstar R Truth playing a true or false game show with two other WWE superstars. It does. It just does. I don't fucking care. It just it doesn't. I, I like wrestling. I don't want this. Just. Look, I'm okay if you get like wrestlers into other game shows. Like Becky Lynch was on Game On recently, and I've seen them on like 25 Words or Less. What the fuck is this? Like, I don't feel like I need to watch a game show on the wrestling channel. I, I, I've seen the show and I don't want to review it. It doesn't feel like a game show. It feels like celeb. It feels like here's the WWE people doing something to fill for time, because of COVID. I'm not reviewing those shows. To me, that doesn't count. Uh, finally, because our true game show sucks. Uh, we're going in on a better note. Sim Sparked debuts on TBS Friday, uh, July 17th at 11 p.m. Uh. It's the BuzzFeed multiplayer to stream each episode the following Mondays. Players compete in unique time storytelling contests. Watch the preview. Oh, this is a 
Jesus Christ, I don't need a life story for a fucking Sims-based game show. Electronic Arts is partnering with Turner Sports Esports brand to brand E-League and BuzzFeed to create a first-of-its-kind reality competition series based around EA's popular simulation franchise, The Sims. Since it's released in 2000, Sims is a po- uh, has been redefining what it means to be a gamer, allowing players to create and control themselves in a virtual world where they can be they can express themselves in a way that's most authentic and meaningful to them. Sims Sparked is redefining reality competition by bringing creativity, storytelling, and the community together in an entertaining new way. Contestants will be given creative challenges to build the most unique characters, worlds, and stories, all told through the latest, highly successful game in the franchise, Sims 4 fucking buy it on origin i guess that's the idea since its inception the sims has been a groundbreaking experience allowing players to create and virtually live out their stories they create in game that's what makes it so special says lindsey pearson gm of the sims franchise that's also why this show is so exciting we're contributing that innovative spirit bringing our community together to compete and showcase their in-game storytelling on a reality show in an entirely new way E-League has become a destination for premium gaming content, and The Sims Sparked fits perfectly with our focus on a gaming lifestyle and culture program. I fucking hate games now. This, this is Reading this makes me want to fucking hate it. This makes me want to throw my PlayStation out the window. Uh, this, we look forward to the next phase of our partnership with VA as we showcase the popular Sims franchise to TBS. Oh, so let's just do like a racing tournament with Need for Speed or something. Just, just throw that out there. Call of Duty, something. You're, you're Electronic Arts. You're gonna nickel and dime all your people. These are. This is an exploitative market. I. We are excited to introduce the highly engaged Gen Z community of BuzzFeed multiplayer. Gen Z, multiplayer BuzzFeed to an inventive new form of storytelling within the imaginative world of The Sims. And Brandon Smith, EP of BuzzFeed, partnering with EA and TBS allows us to offer new experiences for fans and expand our core values by spreading an inclusive approach to gaming across platforms and screens. This is The Sims. Having diverse casting and contestants isn't going to do anything. It really is not. Even though The Sims is actually because i play the sims a very inclusive warming fan environment i'm very confused by this but hang on this is the actual show concept the sims sparked is a four episode series where players will compete in both skills and elimination challenges with one hundred thousand dollars on the line so this is another one of those good time hobby challenge shows you like making it, British Bake Off, uh, nailed it. You know, you did your hobby, we're just going to pay you $10,000 for doing your hobby. Oh, sorry, $100,000 on the line. Showcasing contestants from the Sims community as they race against the clock to impress a panel of celebrity judges. This show features an amazing cast with former American Idol finalist Ravon Owen as the host. Oh my fucking god, fuck this. That's our our claim for celebrity now. You know, the one who did not win American Idol is the host. I mean, 
this is an online shit, so who am I to judge? It's like if I hosted this show, what are they going to say? You know, famous podcaster. Like, I, I, I'm not going to raz on, on Ravon Owen. As the host, who has been playing the game since middle school. Joining Ravon are three judges that each bring their own critical Sims voice to the competition. I fucking this is like the most painful this is like pulling teeth out for me the first is buzzfeed multiplayer youtube personality youtube personality kelsey in in picture in picture i'm i'm a, i'm not a gen z so i don't know how to pronounce your your name but Kelsey is famous for her own hashtag 100 baby challenge series she created with The Sims. So, so what I'm learning is that Giant Bomb's Abby Russell is just just crimping on her style. That's what I'm what I'm getting at here. Why Abby? Why are you doing the 100 baby challenge then? We, we can already watch this. She created with The Sims. Next up is singer songwriter Taylor Parks who has done voice acting work in the game and sang her song, Me Versus Us, in Shimish, which is the in-game language, in case you didn't know that. I know we're trying to appeal to Sims fans, but we want to make sure that, like, you can get involved if you don't know about the Sims. You know, Simish. For the Sims 4 Get Famous expansion pack, rounding out the judges' panel is Maxis's game developer, uh, Dave Miyaki. Maxis is the development studio behind the franchise where Miyaki, better known in the community as Sim Guru Ninja, has worked for 15 years. Hey, folks, Sim Guru Ninja is going to be your judge. <laughs> Whatever happened to that Will guy? Is, isn't is that when I, with Sims, right? It's Maxis. So, whatever happened to, to the Will, you know, you know what I'm talking about, Will Wright. Like that guy, he was the guy screaming about you can't get rid of the companies. See, I don't. See, I think this is why I, I'm not enjoying this. I I like The Sims and I like the storytelling aspect. Something tells me this is actually going to be very fun to see because it's kind of probably going to be like a create your best fan fiction kind of show, but with The Sims as your visual instead of anything else. So hey, design the house, design characters, build a dramatic three thing arc. That sounds like the show. Create a horror movie using The Sims. Create a, uh, a a beach party with The Sims. Something like that's going to probably be the competitions, which I can actually see how it works. And I think that's kind of clever. But I think this should be kind of one of those like four, five, six episodes, head-to-head kind of shows. This shouldn't be an elimination format kind of like uh, making it. This should be kind of like a one-and-done situation, and it doesn't sound like that's the case. Um, the the twelve. Oh, hang on. The twelve contestants, familiar online personalities. You already got fucking other personality. You already have the one hundred baby challenge lady. Why don't you? What else do you need? Familiar online personalities who each specialize in their own element of the Sims gameplay will be fully revealed during the first episode. We need twelve contestants for a four episode show. Twelve contestants for a four episode show are we just can you just oh my god can you just like divide that four so it's like it's three contestants and each episode is something different for like a ten thousand dollar game show minimum prize because that would be easier to illustrate 
hey, here's three people of The Sims. Can they make the best scary movie in tw- in five hours using The Sims? And they have to create a custom world and custom characters in the process. Something like that would be an interesting idea. I don't know what the hell I'm seeing here. Uh, the 12 contestants, familiar online personalities. What are these people are like, they know who she is. Like, to me, that's that never really speaks well for for a game show because there's a big, like... Like, I can't really go on most game shows because I know a lot of the staff. So it's like, I'm disqualified. But this is like eSports online bullshit. And it's like, oh, so the contestants can be on the reality show even if they know the judge. Uh, Sure. Uh, 12 contestants on familiar online personalities who each specialize in their own element of the Sims gameplay will be fully revealed during the first episode. Additionally, to con- coincide with the show, a series of in-game challenges in The Sims 4 called the Spark Challenge Program will kickstart on Friday, July 17th, where the top creators can win a chance to be considered for a future season of The Sims uh, Fuck off! What if this show fucking fails on TV and it doesn't get the season to pick up? What? I don't. I don't get this. I don't. I. It's like at one point, okay, this is like Lego Masters, but with The Sims. Oh, that would be great. And now it's slowly turning into what if this is just a giant infomercial for EA to sell The Sims to, to idiots? <sighs> e League will set the stage for the show with a special episode of E League Game Night focused on The Sims 4 premiering Friday, July 10th at midnight. Kelly Nugent and Ify Nawadi of E-League. Oh, wow. Those are actually people I've actually heard of. Of E-League Super Punch, powered by Twitch, will serve as co-hosts for this one-hour edition of Game Night, which will feature participants from The Sims Sparked, including hosts Rayvon Owen and contestants Dr. Ashley and Zim... Wait, Zim... (laughs) Fuck. Hold the fucking... Fuck off. Fuck this shit. Fuck off. I just read one paragraph, not even like all the way to the top, one paragraph over to 12 contestants, familiar online personalities, who each specialized interface will be fully revealed in one paragraph below, Dr. Ashley and uh, X Mira Mira. Well, I already know two of the 12 right now. Thank you. Thank you. Fucking Turner executive PR idiots. Jesus Christ. Nugent and Nawali will give fans an early look at the top moments from Sparked with Owen. So we're also going to get spoiled, too, because it's only four episodes long. And we'll showcase Dr. Ashley's building prowess and X Miramira's character styling skills. I, and then it's like all the... What's EA Sports? What's what's Maxis? What's East E-League and Turner? I don't like this. I I went from, wow, this is a cool idea, to suddenly, like, I'm dreading this. This is going to feel like the ultimate gamer all over again. Think of all the other video game theme shows you could have thought of. Instead of just, you could have done eSports League. You could have done a, like, reboot of Starcade. You could end up with, like, a Game Jam kind of show. You could have had a show uh, where it is the, like, SimCity who's the best mayor we can't actually do that in real life so everyone gets like city skylines or something we don't get any of that none of that instead we're getting 
a 12 contestants and four episodes and i'm guessing that means hour long six six episodes so probably every act there's going to be a challenge and elimination until there's a head-to-head so you don't really get to understand the players unless they're going to divide the show up and have it be similar which it's not going to be the case it doesn't this sounds like they're not going to do a tournament style this sounds like a really crappy what do you call this format is this just like bake off and lego masters and all these other hobby i like here's my hobby as a competition that's like the ono snakes and spiders you i just ate something gross shoving people into water like those are the three like it feels like we're still creatively bankrupt here and t- I, 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 I give up. So let's just, you know what? Let's just, let's just go through today's episode. This is very fun to do game shows, I suppose. I love it because game shows are just so much fun to me. And every single country has its own origin stories, its own culture, its own quiz show, its own jeopardy, as it were. And that's why I love doing game shows, I suppose. I think a lot of the show is armchair producer, and I'm okay with that. But something about just like celebrating game shows, I just enjoy. Um, but I know a lot of people are kind of going like, wait, you're ending the show? Why are you ending game shows? I suppose I, I, but I just now started. Look, it takes me about 10 hours to film this and record and watch and sometimes research. And honestly, when you see the numbers, you're like, that's it. That's, that's everybody. I could have just, you know, made a Minecraft video and put it on YouTube and made like a easy 500. Uh, that even though I love game shows so much, you know, n- no one in the game show world hates that listens probably because they hate my ass, and no one in the mainstream a- arena likes it because game shows are too niche. Do do you know about Bob Stewart in the mainstream audience? No. Oh, and if you're in the game show fandom, obviously you know who Bob Stewart is, and I'm basically an idiot, so it, it doesn't work. But anyway, Sale of the Century, however, is one of those game shows that is very fun to talk about because you can look at various countries and their versions of it and see how it's been handled and what makes a great game show work. Now, as we as we go through this episode with Joe, uh, we're going to get into a lot of discussion about how it works in one country but not the other, 
and what makes a great uh, format point in a game show. That stick or twist situation that Sail of the Century does perfectly well. So uh, instead of just talking about the origin story of Sail of the Century, because we do it in the episode, we're instead going to just blabber on about Sail of the Century in the intro. Sail of the Century, one of my favorite quiz shows of all time. I love it for the dramatic moment of going once, going twice, sold. But, you know, that's that's for a few minutes from now. So let's turn the table. With me on the line is friend of the game show fandom. A uh, good friend of mine. Long time no talk, by the way. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, Mr. Joe Van Ginkle. We like to say JVG. Or, or just Game Show Man, if you like. That the Game my... Show Man. The Game yeah, Show Man. My, yeah, that is, that's my uh, identity on social media, you might say. The Game, game Show yeah. Man is, is my... all over the place. Uh <laughs> Now, I have to say this because this is always one of the fun things I always bring up. Joe, I hate to do it. What do you do for a living? <laughs> I actually, I'm actually about to go back to work tomorrow, as a matter of fact. I work at the, the largest card room in Los Angeles. Um, I don't work for the casino itself. I work for a third-party contractor. Uh, one of the weird things about uh, gambling in the An- state of California is that the house can't have any kind of stake in the, the game, the gaming action. Uh, the players are supposed to do it themselves. For card room's biggest game, poker, that's not really a big issue. But for other kinds of games, that's kind of a problem. Usually what happens is each game has a rotating bank and then somebody in the game banks. But a lot of people can't do that, so they bring in an outside company. That's who I work for. What happens is I basically sit on the table in the same seat every time with a big rack of our company's money. When people win, I push out the money to the dealer and they pay from our rack. And when people lose, they collect up all the losing money and give it to us. That's my job. You are literally the independent adjudicator in poker games and other card not based. Poker, not poker. Every, everything but regular poker. Okay, so like a blackjack. Uh, like a blackjack, Baccarat is our biggest game. Pio Poker. Uh, Ultimate Texas Hold'em, which is the the table game version of the poker where you play against the house, and three card poker and Mississippi stud and all these other games. So that to me, I always think that's one of the cooler like jobs to have, especially because when you consider game shows in general and a lot of risk reward that goes into it. Like, yeah, you are probably yeah, sitting there like nervous as hell, looking at these people who probably have like put in like two hundred, three hundred, even like thousands of dollars at the table, and you're like, honestly, Whoa. some of the people who play on these games are nuts. I am one of the games that I work on is this game called Mississippi Stud. Basically, it's Let It Ride in reverse. Have you ever played Let It Ride? I have. I've played a little bit of it. I am okay. terrible at that, but Mr. I know that. most people are. You're not not really supposed to be good at it. It's a it's a it's it's not a game you play. The game basically plays you. That's the way I see it. But Mississippi Stud is one of these games that makes you chase cards and chase them and chase them and chase them and just keep throwing money at it. And I get people. Well, usually, most people, the, the minimum bet is like $5, between 5 and $50 on any given hand. I get people who play like two or three hands 
who bet upwards of $1,000 a hand, lose $3,000 one hand, and then you just keep going, losing, losing, losing. And they just, they go mad. They act like we murdered their kids. <laughs> I keep waiting for somebody to, to attack me. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> Give me a break, man. It's not my fault. You're a bad, you have poor decision-making skills. And it, bad cards just give me a break. Because, you know, a lot of these hot shots, they think like, oh, I'll just go to the table, make an hour, make a quick getaway, and call it a day. And Here's the real killer. In in where I work, we, we are, get a lot of regulars. And so I see a lot of the same people doing the exact same thing over and over and over again, day in, day out. They treat the dealers like crap. They treat our floor people like crap. We don't, they don't really talk to us. We're not really supposed to talk to people except to, to tell the dealer what needs to be paid. Something got missed, something like that. But they, they bully the players into doing what they want. It's just a, Dismal behavior there. I it's a mere. I, I it's beyond me how I've managed to stay there fifteen years. So I, I just wanted to get the p- quick plug out of the way. Please treat dealers and the staff with respect. Like seriously, yes, especially now. I like I said, I'm going back to work tomorrow, June nineteenth, is where we're finally reopening after three months. It's just like, oh my god, treat people, treat people around you decently in general, anyways. Okay. Please, is that that really hard? Seriously, don't, I, I think it's because when there's money on the line, they don't see you as people exactly. they see, and it's like and it's supposed to be a fun. It's supposed to be game. It's supposed to be legalized, just game. Like we're just having fun. It's entertainment. You're there to have fun. These guys treat it like blood sport. It's unbelievable. It's, don't be be prepared to lose as much as you're willing to give in. Like that's basically exactly. the rule of gambling. Like exactly right. And, but there's not what I can do for him. I just sit there and try to be as fair as I can and wait for them to do something stupid. And then you have to call the security guy and go, out. <laughs> hey, sometimes the security don't even listen to us, man. That's just, just some days I don't feel safe. But that's that's a whole. That's, that's a whole new awesome. episode. That's nothing outside of the world of game shows, but that's a good yeah. way to start into it because it's that gambling aspect that brings us into. Yes. Tonight's game show, one of the all-time greatest quiz shows of all time because it's a mix of quiz and a mix of risk-reward. If you love Deal or No Deal, Let's Make a Deal, or any of these games that involve giving a little bit but then thinking you can get better at the end of the game, this is the quiz show for you. This is called Sale of the Century. Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, you have it exactly right. It turns out that one of, this is kind of crazy. The original Sale of the Century started in 1969. It was meant as essentially a replacement for the original Let's Make a Deal. In 1969, Monty Hall wanted to get NBC to get them to do nighttime syndication. They didn't want him to do that. So basically, he folded up shop and went to ABC. ABC let him do that. And so to replace Sale of the Century, NBC went to a guy named Al Howard. If you recognize that name, then you're probably a fan of his what is his other big show, Supermarket Sweep, which, by the way, is coming back very soon. What's with the voice? Joe. Al Howard production. There you That's go. right. But this this was, was his show originally to start, 1969, on NBC. It actually taped in the same studio where Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live is taped since 1974. Studio 8H, a 30 Rockefeller Center in, in New York City. 
I never knew it was filmed. I always thought it was filmed in Los Angeles. Was that the later run, or is it always New York? Well, later, the, the later 1980s run was in Los Angeles, but the original run was in New York City at 30 Rock at, in the Studio 8H. That's where it was. Uh, the first two years of the show were hosted by a guy named Jack Kelly. He was an actor. Uh, the, the only thing that he I know of uh, off the top of my head was his role in a film called Forbidden Planet. You ever see that one? Oh, that is one of the famous, I'm not going to say famous schlock movies of all time, but it's, it is. It's, a, it's a legendary science fiction movie. It's one of the inspirations for Star Trek. It's If, if you've not seen it, it, it's a little, you know, it's a 1950s science fiction film, but it's a serious and enjoyable one. And you can just, it's, you can see Star Trek all over it. But he hosted the show for the first two years, and he was eventually replaced by a guy named Joe Gargiola. Joe Gargiola started his career as a baseball player for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was basically a Michael Strahan of his day. And and by and, the way, like he is one of the, I would say, one of the most underappreciated game show hosts of all sure. time. He, a very personable, likable guy. He uh, was on the Today Show for many years. Uh, he did uh, many baseball and football. Honestly, a lot of sports commentaries. Uh, strike it rich over here. Don't forget strike it rich. Strike it rich. That was actually the first show that I saw him on. Was the 1980s version of Strike It Rich, which I'm sorry didn't do better here. But, imagine but of course, it, did better. If imagine in the, the UK, UK format, though. If it matched the three player format, it was Joe like just rambling with the contestants. It would have been a yeah. perfect format. Perfect. I, I I don't understand why they only had two, but that's that's just the way it went. But anyways. The show lasted on NBC until 1973, came back and it was as a weekly syndicated show in 1974. During this time, the show went to two different places, both English-speaking countries. One was in England, 1971, which basically took the show uh, part and parcel. It ran until night there until 1983. The show's host was a guy named Nicholas Parsons. He was an Nicholas too. Parson, who hosts Just a Minute, you know, the game that we all know and love to play so very much. You know, it's a big hit all over the world, aired all over the... I'm just now referencing, I'm sorry, I haven't included Nicholas Parson's version. Oh, boy. Uh, but uh, it'll been there for... Yeah, it was at, on... the, at the same time, there was a gentleman from Australia that you made whose name you might know by the name of Reg Grundy. He's a producer of television television in australia he started his career as a game show host Do you know what his show was called what was richard grundy's first show grundy reg grundy, grundy his show was called reg grundy's get this wheel of fortune wheel of fortune we you know we just got into that we just did that episode so the perfect timing well of course this wasn't more Griffin's version of the show this was you know although Grundy did wind up importing that version too, and that ran along the line there. But that's the whole other. That's a whole other episode too. But he, uh, most of the shows that he imported originally, he basically bought. He, uh, not to put too far a point on it, but he stole them. He um, Sale of the Century is one of them. He originally called his version Temptation, but he also did a number of other Mark Goodson shows. He did Match Game, which he called Blankety Blanks. He did actually just blankety blank. Uh, uh, let's see here. The Price is Right, the 1970s, the, the version we all know. Um, just a whole bunch of different shows. And at some point, there was a lawsuit. But, uh, Al Howard apparently got wind of this and he sued uh, Reg Grundy. But and eventually, Grundy decided, first licensed it and then eventually bought it outright. And in 1980, the Australian version, the longest running version of the show, Sale of the Century, started. 
on the Nine Network, and it lasted there 21 years. Australian Sale of the Century was basically their Jeopardy. If you were a smart More person... Or less. More or less. They actually tried Jeopardy there in the, like, the early 1990s with the original host of Sale of the Century there, Tony Barber. But for whatever reason, it didn't take. Sale of the Century was just too dominant there. And, but it was finally knocked off the air in 2001 by, of all things, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which is still on the air there as Hot Seat, if I'm not mistaken. Millionaire Hot Seat with Eddie McGuire, uh, now an hour-long format. So, so now we get to go to the fun part. What is Sale of the Century? What's the format of Sale of the Century like? Why? I'm hearing it's a quiz show, but I'm hearing risk-reward. Right. Sale of the Century is basically Jeopardy meets Let's Make a Deal. You have three contestants who start, they're trying to earn money by answering questions, but the correct questions are only worth a little bit of money, usually $5 each. Answer correctly, you earn five. Answer incorrectly, you lose five. But the reason you only get that little bit of money is because that you are along the way you are buy prizes. These prizes are are considerably more more valuable than the money that you're buying. Hence the name of the show, Sale of the Century. During the game, these prizes are called instant bargains. Usually, you're offered three of them one at a time, and in the traditional Grundy form, the one in the 1980s version that most people. Uh, you are offered, the person in the lead is offered the opportunity to buy. Usually in the, in the early first one, they're more, they get more expensive as you go. The first run, you'd be offered like a pendant for, a diamond pendant for like $800 for like $6. And then the second time around, it would be a set of furniture worth $1,500 or $11. And then at the end, the last one would be, like a trip to, say, Palm Springs, or a smaller trip worth $2,000 that cost you $16. The trick, of course, is that to buy these prizes, you would have to give up part of your score. Hence the risk-reward part. Very are, you, are you willing to basically give the equivalent of getting one wrong answer, two wrong answers, or three wrong answers to win a prize, knowing how every question is valuable, and right. your lead could shrink here and there. Now, along the way during this format rule, sometimes there's mini games like the instant cash game. where one That's right. Later gets- on in the show, the, the third instant bargain was, in, in, at least in the American version, uh, the 1980s version with Jim Perry, the, the, instant bar- the third instant bargain was replaced with the instant cash game. You were presented with three boxes, numbered one, two, and three. Two of them had $100 in them. The third one had a growing cash jackpot starting at $1,000, Going up each day $1,000 until it was won. To try and pick one of those boxes and get its contents, you would have to give up your entire lead. So if you had a small lead, you might might be tempting. But if you had a bigger lead, you might not want to give that up, depending on how much money was available. Leading player has, say, $55. Second place has $50. Well, for 5 bucks, you have a 1-3 shot at $2,000. What do you want to do? That that's that might be a, a not quite a big decision there. But, but if it was, you have seventy five dollars. Well, even ten thousand dollars in the pot and only five dollars, then you might want to think about it. Uh, also, we have to point out that just because we're saying six, eleven, sixteen, yeah, these mean... the, those weren't always the same prices. They had different prices on each show, but the basic idea was the same. The first one was a, was a lower value prize for less money, and then the, the price and the value of the prize went up as you went along. Now, alternating with this, along with the questions, were special questions called fame games. The fame game would basi- was basically a 
a uh, who am I question. You were trying to guess the identity of a famous person, place, or thing. You didn't get money outright, but instead you got a pick of a board with nine, originally nine famous faces. In Australia, it was always nine faces. But later on the American show, the, the faces were replaced with just nine numbers. You got to pick one of these numbers, and usually there was prize or a little bit of spending money on behind them. But there was also a bonus money card. Originally, there was just one, $25. But eventually, that this was they had added two more cards, 10 and a $15 card, increasing as you went. So this also gave folks who were not really able to do as well an extra chance to win a prize along the way with just by answering this question, but also a chance to get back in the game if they get one of these money cards. Uh, and uh, the fame game was played, I think, three times a show. Three times a show. Then there were three also instant, three instant bargains. They alternated. There was an instant bargain, then a fame game, and then and so on and so forth on to the end of the game. Originally, the first year of the show... The game ended with three final questions after the last fame game. Somebody figured out that wasn't all that, uh, that didn't build that much suspense. And so they replaced it with a speed round. Basically, it was originally 90 seconds, but later, for most of the run, it was 60 seconds worth of questions. The Mad Minute. The Mad Minute, as it was known in Australia, or Fast Money. <laughs> Obviously, we couldn't call it fat. The, we couldn't call it fast money here because of the family feud bonus game, but for us it was the speed round, and at the end of the speed round, whoever had the most money was the winner. And uh, they would that winner is the only one that goes on to the final round. The other two are only walking away with what they have bought in the show that's if they right. have any, and anything they won off the fan game too. So that's that's an extra incentive to buy something. If you win it and you go down, you still have won something. So the eventual winner goes into the back showroom, and there were th diff three different final acts to the show. The original final act was the sale of the century itself, where you took all the money that you earned that day and any previous days, if you were the current champion, to buy a much larger prize. This is the ultimate expression of the risk-reward. You were either buying something along the way, the, the instant bargains, the smaller guaranteed prize, or gambling on your own ability to play the game to try and win one of these bigger prizes, or if you were there long enough to win all of them. There was an entire rack, like a set of six prizes of increasing value, and the more money that you, the bigger prize that you could buy. Eventually, your goal was to buy every prize on the stage. Originally, it was just a series of a series of prizes culminating in a, a luxury automobile like a Mercedes-Benz or Cadillac. And then you, after you got to the car, you got one more try. And if you got to the enough money, you would get everything on stage plus enough cash to bring your total to $95,000. And this was like the 80s. There was a cash. 1983. 1983, 1984. 1984, they introduced the cash jackpot. This was a, a rolling cash jackpot. It started at $50,000 and went up $1,000 every day. It was not one. Originally, it was a separate prize. It was the last prize after the car. Once you got there, you could either take the cash jackpot or come back the next day and try and win everything. A significant number of people who reached that cash jackpot just took the money. I think the biggest cash money, cash jackpot, that was one on the show was won by David Rogers, and it was $109,000. I would have done the same thing. I'm not, <laughs> I would have done exactly. that. Exactly. That's one of the things with that. We eventually, well, we'll, we'll come to that. 
1985, the shopping round, as it's we most people call it, was replaced by a, a, a segment called the Winner's Board. The Winner's Board was very similar concentration in that it had a, a board numbered squares that had matching prizes. But unlike concentration, which was a game, you just kept picking numbers until you matched something. The first thing you matched was what you won. Uh, there were 20 squares on the board. There were 10 possible prizes. Two of those prizes were cash. One of them was $3,000 in cash, and another one was $10,000. The tent also on there was the car. The car and the $10,000 could only be won before early in the on, uh, if you found a win card first. There was only one of those particular cards on the board. You had to find a win card first. There were two of those, one for each of those. You had to find a win card and then uncover either the car or the $10,000. If you didn't win them early on, eventually you'd win everything else, and then it would just be either the car or the $10,000, and you just pick one, and that's what you got. Unlike the sale, unlike the uh, the shopping round, the thing with the shopping round was that if you had you could get in order to keep coming back, you had to risk the money that you would earn. If you did not, if you lost during the game, lost the main game, you would lose the money that you would be able to buy one of the bigger prizes that's the the risk that you would have to take it, it's you kind of you know what it reminds me of those like arcade ticket redemption things like when you have like you've won that the jackpot of like a thousand tickets you can buy like right. a little like buy this this little thing right now or keep right on playing that's the idea you are it's very similar in in many regards to let's make a deal the short it replaced let's make a deal it was all about the, the, the gamble. You could either take the guaranteed prize that Money Hall offered you or risk it and try and win something bigger. Six, $60. Well, $60. Right. That's enough for the trip to Hawaii and the luggage. That's worth $8,000. You can take it right now and go. Or if you come back tomorrow, we have a lovely dinette right. set available. You just need right. $30 but more. With, dollars. But, with let's, but with let's make a deal. The, the, the bigger prize was always inevitably... An unknown and eventual, and sooner or later, you would probably get zonked. But here on Sale of the Century, you were gambling on yourself. You, you're trying to, to gamble that you had the nerve, the willpower, and the ability to play the game well to keep going and eventually win everything. And during the 1980s version of the show, you could win in excess. The biggest winners had prize winnings in excess of $150,000. What's up, Mark DiCarlo? <laughs> Mark, Di Mark DiCarlo didn't have as much money. He, he keeps boasting that he's the, the all-time biggest winner. He isn't, although that doesn't really make him any less cool. But how many others do you know hosted studs? <laughs> well, that, well, it's more than that. The thing to remember was that when he was on the show, he was the winner's board. The winner's board took more wins to complete than the other, other formats. It took 11 consecutive victories in order to win everything, the car, the cash jackpot, and all the prizes that were on the show. When when, when the winner's board came out, they removed the, the rolling jackpot. It was just $50,000 static. But it still took 11 wins in order to get that. And Mark did that, so who cares if he's not the biggest winner? He's still cooler than either of us because he did that. He's that's, been on the show the longest. Cool. He might as well yeah. be like a Brad Rudder yeah. or Ken Jennings or... Yeah, but in, and of course he's... Uh, grown quite a career from that he studs he done and then after that he was one of the pioneers of the foodie travelogue he had a show on food network called a taste of america and that eventually became the template for a whole bunch of other shows like diners drive-ins and dives 
and Bur Burgers Barbecue, uh, Burgers Brew and Q. I think that's Michael oh, the, Simon's show. Yes. And then a whole bunch of other shows. My, Mark DiCarlo did that first. So while we're ragging on him for not getting, not being the all-time biggest winner, he's still cooler than any of us. He got to do all these things, and Settle of the Century was part of the stepping stone for that. I can't, I can't, you know, I can't fight that. I really can't. Uh, <laughs> and then we go to our third and final. Uh, here's the thing. The, this, the, the last final round, I think they introduced it in 1987. The, the, like this next to last season, it lasts the end of the run. It's known as the winner's big money. Most the serious fans of the show universally revile it. But it, it wasn't that bad a game, but it didn't fit with the sale of the century format. Basically, you would have a player trying to solve what were called puzzles. Basically, was they were truncated versions of the questions that Jim Perry would ask. You would a series of six words that formed this sort of sentence that described the Pearson Pisces thing. You had to figure out what it was. What it, it, on the surface, it seems like something you'd see on Password Plus. It wasn't. They weren't like six related words that had formed a common bond. They, it was like a, uh, a Mickey. Mouse theme park, exactly. California. And you had to, originally you had to get five and 25 seconds. Later it was tw four and 20. If you got them all, if you got what you needed, you want a, a an amount in cash. It was uh, $5,000 in the first day. And then the next day was 6,000 and on up to the maximum of $10,000. And then the next day you would play for the car. You had to win the, win the winner's big money game to get the car and then you could play for the $50,000. If you didn't, you were done. Once you, both in the winner's board and in the winner's big money game, you didn't lose anything along the way. But once you won the car, or once you won everything off the board, or once you got to the car in the winner's big money game, you had to make one final choice. You had to risk everything to come back, or you could take what you won and leave. <clears throat> also, winner's big money game, every, you also got a prize automatically, too. So there was that. But if you in the winner's big money game, if you came back and won, you would get the fifty thousand dollars. Of course, if you won the game, you wouldn't lose any. Lost everything you won would lose. Uh, I think they had four people get to the fifty thousand dollars, but only one person actually win it, and I lost her name. Uh, it's out there someplace. But all, but four people got to that got to the end, but only one person. Actually, won the Ronnie 50, White. It looks like Ronnie White was that. Ronnie. 2000 or most in the era. Ronnie White. R A. Yeah, yeah. She was the only person who got there during the end of that that uh, that last uh, bonus game. Uh, but the show went off the air in the United States in 1989. Of course, it continued along in in Australia. It actually came back in England in I think 1990. Pattern more off, uh, more like the uh, the Red Grundy version of the show. The show that, that we had. And it was on the air for two years. And one of the contestants, get this, was Simon Cowell. Simon Cowell from American Idol and America's Got Talent. This was his television debut. I think he was on the show for two days. And somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. I think all he won was a set of kitchen utensils. He won one day, risked his money, lost on the second game. Yeah, that's as, as I think. I I don't, I might be right. I didn't check on but yes. as far as i know i think all he won was a set of kitchen utensils but yep just 20 pounds worth of cooking utensils that's yep, it yeah that's because that's all the uh all England's it's uk it's proper at the time but the show did come back one more time in the, in the uk 
1997 for Challenge, a guy named Keith Chagwin was the host, and it was sort of a cross between the two older formats. It only lasted that one year. It was, a, it was an interesting show, but it didn't do as well. I think they brought it back once for Ant and Dex Game Show Marathon, but I don't think they've seen it again since. I don't. I, I might be wrong. And, and but but meanwhile, Australia still takes and still plays with it. And oh, here's the fame game players and Australia. Yeah, Australia was had that show on the air for 21 years. Finally knocked off the air by by Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and then the show it was it's become a it's a cultural icon down there. They sold a bunch of home games. I actually have a whole bunch of their home games. I, I mean, like that—that's the one thing we should always always bring up is the sale of the century home game where it's a hexagon grid and and it's the old it's the, the introduction of the very first home buzzer system, the Quizard. No one had anything like that beforehand. I was that was something different, and unique, and that's. Of course, some some folks know that there was a standalone Quizard, but the Quizard was originally in the 1984 Sale of the Century game in Australia. And that's that's pretty cool. Think about that for a second. No other quiz show game show or any game like that ever had a buzzer system that you could actually put on your table and play with and actually feel like you were on the show. Look. The 60s version of the game had... Basically, you had a bowl and a card. He threw it in there like a tilly tilly whatever. And there was, there was a buzzer. The Jeopardy home games that Bradley came out with during the 70s, 60s and 70s all had little basic metal clickers, almost like uh, uh, the, the, the obedience clicker. The little they dog had, clickers, those little click yeah, clicks. They had like four of them. That, that was their, your buzzer system originally. And so when Salem came out with these buzzers, it was just so cool. It still is. It is a light-up, cool buzzer. It it works, by the way. Like, I've seen it in action. Like, it's, it's the strangest thing. It's like, wait, they actually made buzzer, like, light-up buzzer, game show buzzers for, like, a home... Microchip-powered buzzer system, completely automated. You buzzed in, the, the lights went off, it stayed on for four seconds to show who had buzzed in, and then cleared automatically, totally automated. You just buzzed in, and just no thought of it. Just completely foolproof. It was cool. Uh, so when it went off the air because of Millionaire, it revived itself. It came, it was revived in 2005 under its original Australian name, Temptation, the new sale of the century. They mm. actually brought in a pair of weather people, uh, Ed Phillips and Lavinia Nixon. The, sh the original Australian version had Tony, Tony Barber and Glenn Ridge. Tony Barber was like the first... And I like Tony Barber. I think he's one of my favorite Australian. Besides Burgo, like yeah, Barber, Barber was a perfect fit for the show. He was a great host. He was very energetic and fun. But and a mustache, yeah. the eighties mustache. <laughs> well, he didn't. Yeah, Bert. Yeah, Burjo had the mustache. I don't think Barber yeah. ever. But uh, in I think nineteen ninety, he left the show, and he eventually would host both Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. And a lot of folks hated his work on Wheel of Fortune. That's all again. That's all other thing. And then they brought in a news guy named Glenn Ridge, and he did for the whole rest of the time. And he, he was very much. He was very much like uh, an Australian Pat Sajak. That's what he reminded me. He was, but he wasn't just wasn't over the top. He was very. He was, he was a news anchor originally. He was very mild mannered, but but he was a good host, and it was 
it's casual. He played casual because yeah. because he wasn't yeah. the one doing the temptation sales. It was always the models like, "Hey, yeah. I heard you really love to go to the beach. Well, with this lovely swimwear, you will feel cool <laughs> under the sun. We're also adding this nice uh, camping gear for you. For, usually priced at yeah. eight hundred dollars, yours for only five. There you go. And then she's in there like, "What was that about?" Yeah. <laughs> So when the show came back as Temptation, they brought in Ed, both two other people, Ed Phillips and Lavinia Nixon. They had fantastic chemistry. Ed was a great host. Lavinia, a great salesperson. Oh, Ed had to do a lot of selling too, but it was a, a, it was like the original show. It never left. It was, but it was also a very much scaled up. It started off very much like the original show, but it also incorporated more speed rounds. One of the things that the the Australian show did was put in an extra speed round midway through the game was only 30 seconds here in temptation. They added two more speed, two speed rounds or on top of the regular one, two smaller ones, each 20 seconds. And then usually after that, something happened, but they replaced the, uh, the third instant bargain with a game called the temptation vault. It was originally was actually the first one on the show. And during the first season, eventually was switched to the last one. Originally it's $10 to play for as much as $5,000. You would have a, uh, a, rotate, a rotating sort of slot machine, sort of counter that uh, randomized dollar amount from between $1,000 You, If you paid the $10, you would push the button, and then it would give you a random amount. You won that much money in cash. Later on, when it became went to the last round, it became $15 for as much as $10,000. But other than that, the, they had basically the same format as the original show, I tried to earn as much well, but with much quite. with much grander prizes, I would say more than anything. Yeah, much more bigger prizes. They also also the fame game had little power up cards cards called Temptation Twists that let sort of let you change the rules for a little bit. They had uh, let me see here. They had the burglar, which let you steal five dollars from an opponent. They had the turbo. What the other two? Turbo. That was it. That let you play for $10 for the next three questions. And then they had the lockout, which let you lock out an opponent for three questions, which let, sort of let you give you a chance to catch up against an aggressive pro player who was playing very well. So at the end of the game, they still had this, the, the fast money, 60 seconds, and then the winner would go into the final round. The final round was very similar to the traditional shopping round, except instead of having to earn money to buy these prizes, you just had to get enough wins. You had escalating prizes. If you won one day, you got this prize. Two days, you'd get this prize, and so on and so forth. Uh, five days, you would get the car. And then six days, originally, if you would get all the prizes. And then on the seventh day, you would win, in addition to all the prizes, $500,000 in gold bullion. Gold. Gold! Later on, <clears throat> was... they would change this. They would, would remove the gold. But they would reinstate the cash, the, the cash jackpot. One of the things that with this, if you you decided to either you took the prize that you were offered, or continued to play. If you continued to play, you were given an extra bonus game to play. It was basically a, a, a sort of question and a, a super speed round of sorts. Originally, it was called ten in a row. What you're doing was you were you, you tried to get as many questions in a row as you could. If you got ten in a row in sixty seconds, you won a hundred thousand dollars in cash. But you couldn't take it right away. You would have to come back the next day, and it would grow along as you as you kept playing. But you could take it at any time along with whatever prize you wanted. The very first episode of the show, somebody actually knocked down 
all 10 in a row. And then he came back the next day. And then as soon as, as soon as he won, he said, I'm out, man. He took the prize of $100,000 and that was gone. And so eventually they took that out and just replaced it. With, they took out the gold and that bonus game. And they sort of had you build your own cash jackpot. You would start with $50,000 and then you would play an easier version of that called the Tough 10. Just try to get any 10 right in 60 seconds and that would add $50,000 to the jackpot. And so, so, so five prizes you won the car, six prizes you got all, every, all the prizes, seven wins you would, I'm sorry, six wins you get all the prizes, seven wins you would get all this money that you had built up. By that time you would have as much as $350,000. You could take that $350,000 or come back on the eighth day. Of course, you would play one final um, uh, final round to get the other $50,000, and then you would have as much as $400,000. And then you would come back the next day. If you won, you'd get all the prizes and double the cash jackpot. That was $800,000 and the prizes. To my knowledge, only one person managed to do that. Her name is Yolanda Stopar, S-T-O-P-A-R, and she won in excess of $932,000 Australian. She was the largest winner in the show's history. And because, and if she points out, because of the Australian Temptation version, the ratings on that version were through the roof. It became yeah, a it big... It was a very popular show, but unfortunately was also very expensive. And so after four years, they finally canceled the show because it was just too expensive. They couldn't keep it up, you know, despite how being how popular it was. And so the show, they've tried to revive it once a couple of years ago for a different network, but unfortunately it has not come back since. But during this time, a, a, lot, of, yeah, a lot of folks in the United States managed to see this, this with courtesy of the internet and YouTube and other things. I actually had a friend who managed to somehow get his hand on the entire first season or not the entire first season, the entire first week of the show. It's like just after the show had debuted, he sent me a DVD containing these five episodes. I was blown to bits. It was amazing. It still is. And so um, a lot of folks here in the United States wanted the show to come back to America as Temptation. In 2007, it did. Unfortunately, you can't hide the Temptation. Yeah, can yeah. you hear the call? Yeah, you it was a, can't hide the temptation. Come on, and on the take song, it all. Just based on the theme song, the fact that John can sing it like that, you can guess it was um, just a complete disaster. Instead, it's ostensibly the same show, but they, it was um, the che uh, hosted by Rossi Morial, who I remember uh, uh, from G Four back in the day. Uh -huh. I mean, he seemed like a nice guy, but he also seemed like he was in the room. Yeah, just, he wasn't that good a host. But on top of that, the format was a disaster. They cut it up. It was the, one of the things on American game shows is this idea that people don't like quiz shows, that they that the people are stupid, they don't want to they, they just don't want to see people answering questions for money. Which is preposterous considering how big Jeopardy has been in the last couple of years. <laughs> you don't want to well, see the yeah it's a quiz show and free Montel media which at the time then finally bought the formats and now i have the rights to sell the century and this was well, no, actually here's the thing with Fremantle. Fremantle actually grew out of a number of a conglomerate of different companies one of which was reg grundy's international empire 
one of the things that made it possible was the origin was the 80 sale of the century which was the very first foreign produced american television show for an american audience to that point most shows that were imported from other countries were those shows basically reruns of those other shows sale of the century was the first american show was that was produced for american audience by a foreign company um, for an American audience, I mean, for a foreign company. This had never been done before. And that laid the foundation for a lot of the shows that we see today, like American Idol, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Survivor, and a ton of others. The None boy. of that would have been possible without the sale of the century. And so Reg actually, and, and his empire, he built an international empire on that show and Baywatch which he actually got from All-American Television, which in turn also bought out the whole of Mark Goodson shows. And so it was a combination of Goodson and, well, not sorry, All-American Television and Reg Grundy and Thames Television and a few others that became originally Pearson Television and was really later renamed Fremantle Media. That's, that's the company that is now just called Fremantle. All those different companies are part of that. And Sale of the Century is actually the basis of how that company came to be, which makes it all the more mind-boggling that the show was 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 botched as far as it was. It was like they took a whole bunch of random random things. It was like somebody said, "Hey, let's do Jeopardy! Jeopardy! Plus the Price is Right. Let's just do that." Like a whole bunch of different segments. It was was very uneven. It also pandered to an audience that didn't necessarily want to watch this kind of show. They had a lot of shopping questions, a lot of fashion questions. It was the, they were trying to get, I think the housewives. They wanted the, the housewives in, by the way, the late two thousands, which has been a dying breed ever since yeah. the eighties. Like women are now in the workforce that, yeah. that genre does not exist anymore. And so, so yeah. It, and on top of that, the prizes were so cheap and even that, which, which is worse. They actually tried to sell the prizes on the show. Uh, as seen on temptation.com, they tried to have a home shopping element to the show. Don't you want to hand crank light, like flashlight? They normally priced at $20, yours for $14. What it's a like, deal. It, it's, yeah. it's. And so it uh, apparently somebody had some confidence in it because they debuted it on my network TV for I mean, <laughs> like an hour long show with celebrity contestants. And then it got buried in really bad daytime slots, and it died a quick, merciful death after one season. And it's just mind-bending. So in that version, their fame game was not a Who Am I? It was basically Wheel of Fortune. No, exactly. This is what this is what we're talking about. The, uh, the, they had the uh, the end of it, the speed round uh, early on. We're like this or that from uh, you, you don't, don't know Jack games. That and was just, the like last speed round was this or that. Oh, so don't forget yeah. a knockout round was wipeout. Yeah, they had they added in they basically ripped off Peter Tomarkin's wipeout. They took or they called it knockoff, as he said. They, they had a series of answers, like a block of answers on the board. They, some of them fit a particular category, and some you pick them, you got money. I found it totally offensive though the way they brought the segment in. It was normally yeah. you know it can go shopping and you see a nice purse at the discount store and you're like, is that real or oh. is it fake? Is it not comfortable? That's what inspired this game. And ev eventually, that, that was even the show's end game. You, you still got to decide whether you wanted to stop, take the prize that you earned enough money for, and come or come or come back and risk it. 
but then you before before then you would also play a super knockoff where you can earn more money, which was a good idea. The whole adding money to your score for this end game, but again, they ripped they ripped off a whole bunch of other shows to get this. It, it just it was crazy. It was embarrassing. It was. It wasn't pleasant at all. It was for the for the, the budget was so cheap. It was like here's your temptation. It's a two hundred fifty dollars Sephora gift card. <laughs> Yours for only five dollars. And so, then imagine Rossi Morial having to talk to a woman like you need some makeup. I know you need some makeup. Just like it's. They did the wallet movie. game. They did the instant cash bargain. Yeah, but instead of having the boxes, they came with three watts. Like what? With one hundred dollars or five hundred dollars, it was the minimum. So it was even less than the original. Someone, it was just so horribly botched. It like, was, a, it I, was a real bot. No, no, but they had some great prizes. Joe, yeah. I think you, you're you're getting it wrong. They had great prizes on the show. That was what made the show work. When they had such things like you can rent out a rug doctor every day for a month, thirty days of rug doctor, and. Yeah. And hey, do you like movies? Well, you can get Netflix subscription for a year. No, no, no TV. Well, no, no chairs. Just yeah, yeah Netflix. Netflix subscription for a year might be a nice prize now with the with the COVID nineteen thing. But you know, but still when I think about that, it's like that would be like a. When I think of those prices, like okay, did they just like have it left over from Whammy back in like two thousand and just like oh. I'm oh, waiting for Hello so Hattie to return. Uh, just, yeah, it was just oh my god! It was well, that, that was the end of sale of the for the moment. The oh yeah, there's no the there's no cash jackpot by the way. There was no cash no jackpot, cash no jackpot. incentive. To, you can't win all the sh- you can even you, in the lyrics. Yeah. Come on yeah. and take it all. You don't get to take it all in the temptation. Nope. <laughs> you yeah, you you got you got five consecutive days, and that was all you got. If you didn't get to the car, oh well, tough shit. And the car was like seven hundred. Like it was a way to. Well, they, well, of course, they did have the uh, the knockout game to help with that, but still, the Prius it was a Prius ones, and then it, it, they had they had Jaguars. They they had a few nice cars, but still, it was embarrassing. And then just get bare, and it's like this is what we remember of Temptation. And then I would believe that because you know, like hard, it was hard to find. Sale of the Century really was rarely in repeats on Game Show Network. Rarely in repeats mm-hmm. elsewhere. Yeah, they, they 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 finally brought the the repeats of the 1980s version of the show. They were mostly the syndicated. There was actually a a syndicated show that ran for two years that re that actually started out reinstating the the Sale of the Century, the shopping round. And actually, one of the improvements that they, well, first of all, it had bigger prizes because it was a nighttime show, but also it it reinstated the cash jackpot. Instead of making it a separate prize, it made it added it in with all the prizes. You to get the cash jackpot, you would have to win everything, and that's where where some of the biggest and best wins of the entire series uh, were. And actually, most of what we see on Buzzer right now, the which is Fremantle's uh, digital service, which reruns a bunch of their company's uh, games, most of what we see on that network that are set of the century is the 1980s syndicated version with these these episodes. But they, of course, would only run for a couple of years, so they keep rerunning it over and over. But it was still the best version of this particular show, which was a great show in, in, in and of itself. I think this is also most... Uh, it's it was it's one of the best fireworks shows. in our neighborhood. It's, oh my god! Did somebody just set one off? Happy Fourth of that? July, everybody! Yeah, on June eighteenth. <laughs> uh, this has been happening for the last few weeks. It's just like, 
what are you guys doing? Give me a break. But uh, right now, most of what people know about Sale of the Century are these reruns. But it would one of the things that secretly I hope for is the show to return. And right now, with Fremantle the way it is, the Fremantle's run and, and the game show, its game show division is run very differently now than it was in the past. It's no longer oh, yeah. like right now. Fremantle Media is at top of their game. I am not kidding. Press your luck. But some of the best just, prizes. Just watch watch the stuff they put out on NBC Summer Fun and Games, and you will see what I'm talking about. Already uh, mentioned, press your luck. Also, Cyber Family Feud, Card Sharks, which I personally really like. Uh, to tell the truth, is really fun. Uh, Batch Game, of course, is doing tremendous business. Like it, it's it, it's a did not it's like someone there went, went. You don't mess with the format. You don't really have to tinker the format. Make I, it. I think a lot of that is that nowadays a lot of us uh, game show fans are the ones actually running these shows. Because I, uh, um, I remember it, that being the case when Double Dare was the, that was yes, almost well, all yes. run by fans of Double Dare. Yes, <laughs> like, by far, by far, They're, the Double Dare was run by people who loved that show. Ask anybody who worked on it, and you can you can absolutely bet that they were probably a fan of that show when it ran in the 1980s and 90s. But one of the things that gives me hope is Fremantle in its current state. I know. I hope deep in my soul that if they were to, tr to try it now, is something Jennifer Mullen, are you listening? Yes. Bring back the show. I mean, seriously, I have my pitch. I have my pitch on hand. If I so was do to I. do sale, so and, do I. So do you want to hear it, Joe? Because I know people love to hear it when I do a pitch about a game show. Because okay. eight times out of ten, it becomes eerily similar to what becomes presented. Because I've seen President okay. Luck. I have. I'm I'm very interested in comparing notes here with you. Let, let me hear what you have. In okay, now the only thing is probably you would probably, if I can take a guess, you would want returning champions because that's a big I, element. I would, but here's the thing: right now, Fremantle's main source of business is ABC. Yes. ABC has a very specific formula that they want followed for their games because it's what's working for them. And it also lets uh, partly that, but also because they want to be able to program shows uh, that way they can get maximum viewership, maximum drama from the way they present their shows. So for the most part, they want their programs to be standalone. I understand that. Sale of the century can be done standalone. As a matter of fact, the, the last year of the original show was a syndicated show. It was weekly, and it was standalone. People tried to win like, the big prizes in one show. So it can be done, but you have to do it in a way that it balances out with the basic risk-reward uh, yes. concept. It, exactly. So it's, that, Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Let, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll say what I, the way I would do it after you do. I, I want to hear right. what you said. So first of all, this is how it is. It's an hour-long show, akin mm -hmm. to the ABC Summer Fun and Games Lamp. So this is hour-long, 44 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, three contestants, similar to the old-school sales entry you know and love. Right. Catches, it's not called temptation dollars. We're not calling it money. It's just points. We're just like 20 points, lose five, gain five. Because okay. in this game, the time is money. Whoever has the most points at the end of the show goes on to one final round where they turn those points into seconds of time they couldn't turn into $1 million. Shh, that's the million-dollar bonus round, like press your luck, but shh, quite about that. We are asking questions just like in Sales Century. Three questions, buzz and get right, get five, get wrong, you lose five. We bring back the fame game, and it's 
back to the original, there's nine celebrities on a big old LED board. Everything is flashy. It's LED lights all over the place. We're talking like... If we agree on nothing else than the, the, the nine celebrities on the same game board... It's no no pre- no no like flashing lights push your button thing. It's yep. pick the face whatever's behind there. That's what. But what you the, get. and I'm saying right now the cards are already pre-selected, so there's always a guaranteed ten and always guaranteed fifteen, always guaranteed twenty-five. Those are there no matter what, just like in the Australian version. Mm-hmm. Uh, the temptations, on the other hand, are getting a little twisty because there's still going to be whoever has the most points gets a temptation and it's going to be a big prize like a five thousand dollar prize or a ten thousand dollar prize like we have a cruise we have something really like something you would want a 4k television and chairs that would normally be seen as like a mid-range prize on the original daytime sale of the century and we have the host who's basically just begging them to push the button like this is only five this is only five points five points going once Going to how about I give a thousand dollars with that too? Thousand bucks. That's another thing from from let's make a deal. The sale, the host of the show has to be a bit of a salesperson. They have to to sort of banter with the, the player, try and negotiate with them. Here you, you don't. You're, you're, Jim Perry was a master of that. It was, and yeah. you have to imagine like, and especially with something they didn't want. Like imagine like sometimes it was like like a single dude when it was like here's a fabulous fur coat up for sale and sell the century and they're like i don't have a wife i don't have a girlfriend and jim would go like i know but can you think of someone in the audience who would want this i don't think you'd be single much longer if you just gave him this <laughs> come on you know you want and of course, it. He, and of course jim would throw in bribes and throw in cash to go with those bribes too and i know what you're saying i know what you're saying maybe you want some cash here's four hundred dollars mm-hmm or you, of course you also go money hall here. Four hundred dollars? Okay, no, five hundred dollars. Five hundred dollars. No, okay, six hundred. Right. Seven. Seven. Eight hundred kind of thousand dollars. Going once. Going twice. <laughs> no sale. No sale. Uh but so mm-hmm. it's gonna be bigger stakes. And of course okay. you have to end up having like instead of the sale clock, I think it needs to have more tension music. It needs to feel like it's a real intense, like this is a game scene. So it's like mm-hmm. This is worth this price is typically worth five thousand dollars. It's only five bucks. I'll throw in one thousand dollars in shopping money. You're going on a vacation. Obviously, you need stuff. This is total six thousand dollars. It's only five grand. That does put you in a second place. What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And then you have that like tension heartbeat music. Obviously, the crowd's gonna be like, take the take it. Mm-hmm. And then as we go in, then there's gonna be one new twist is an auction house. There's actually going to be like money, like solid. Like here's ten grand. <laughs> Who wants the ten grand? One point, two points. So here three points. So here four points. So here five points, and it just keeps growing. So any of the three have a chance to get money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, whoever has the most points at the end of a sixty-second final round, which is the last act before the bonus round, mm-hmm. takes their time and goes on to the big round. Now instead of a showroom, it's a vault. 100 boxes stay in between them and one million dollars no matter what happens there is a good prize up for them they get to take it no matter what but one of them is a million dollars one of the 100 is a million we take the amount of time you have you made 73 points in this episode at 73 seconds i'll be asking you as many questions as i can in that 73 seconds for each one that you get right you get a box you gotta make a decision much like punch a bunch on the price is right take this box and the prize contents and we'll show it off and display or take the next box so it's like you got eight right that's eight boxes that's eight percent chance in a million dollars we're opening box one 
and it's 50 grand. Do you want $50,000 or do you want me to open the next box? Oh, we're opening the next box. It's $10,000. It's a little less. Do you want to keep going? Okay. Keys to a Mercedes Benz. This is a 2021 Mercedes Benz LS class sedan. Plus, we're throwing in $5,000. That is over $50,000. That's so far the biggest prize on the board. Do you want to stop or do you want to keep going? And it becomes a risk reward deal or no deal situation near the end of the show. Okay. All right. My, I'm, my idea is not too far off from that. I do prefer having, it's called sale of the century. So I would prefer the questions be worth money. I oh, like no, the, no, the big, the, the, the thing is the catch what? is you can buy some time, you can sell your time. So it's like you have 73. So if you want like, okay. if you want 70 seconds, sell me three points, I give you $3,000 no matter what. So you have something guaranteed. Which brings me, I, one of the, th I honestly don't like the idea of having that much luck in the bonus round. It feels too much like deal or no deal. I, it, it's, there's too much luck in this. This is, um, I would prefer to play up the quiz part of this. So what I would do is actually, I would prefer to have the, uh, the um, growing level of prizes, a set level of prizes, but the prizes would be very much like press your luck and they would be personalized. Contestant would have a, a set of like five or six prizes that they would choose ahead of time and they would have set prices. The winner would come in here and play this bonus game. They would, I, I call it the triple speed round. They would, the first level, they would have like 60 seconds and try to earn as much money as they can. And whatever prizes they have enough money to buy, they can buy or they can keep going. If they, if they don't have enough, if they don't earn enough money to buy something else, the game is over and that's it. But if they have enough money to buy something, keep going. And they, the next level, they have less time, but the questions are worth more money. It's sort of like the current bonus game on that's your life. Or, you know, okay, so it's like you got, say, like $70. Uh, that's currently enough for this dream trip you've always wanted. But if you want to get to this, we'll give you an extra 30 seconds at $5 each. Or even $10, even $15. And so each level in the questions would be worth And eventually the idea would be to try to get all of these prizes and like a static cash jackpot of either like a quarter million and a half a million dollars. Yeah, if I, you read, thank you for saying quarter million the Jordan uh, go to. <laughs> but if they got enough money to buy everything, they get it all. If they be, they have to do it by that last level. If they don't get it, then they don't get anything. But if, if whatever they have at each decision point, they can stop with. If they made enough money to buy something else. Uh, see, I was going to see the reason I did the bank balls. I called my final round the steal of the century. So, <laughs> yeah, the first round you're it, buying, the second you're stealing. <laughs> see, I, 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 I don't. I'm not really fun. The, the, the game is sale of the century. You're buying stuff throughout. You the buy game. stuff. You want to buy. You yeah. want to yeah. have it be tiered. I like the tier though. It, it, uh -huh. it almost gives like a million yeah. dollar password kind of vibe too. Right. That, that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, no, that actually works too. And then. All I can think of is just like here's your here is your temptation. This is for ten dollars. Mm -hmm. Look behind those doors, and then you see like the doors open, and then it's the whole background mm -hmm. looks like a beach because you have nice LED yeah. lights. Because exactly. when you think of the old sale of the century, you think of like how crap those sets look for the prizes. It's well, like all painted, and that, that was yeah, that was that was what they could that what they had at the time. Nowadays, they can project it just like what you're describing a live scene behind them and have the prize there. And they can do that in the showroom too. 
Exactly. I envisioned the uh, the the the, uh, the sale of the century showroom. The back set is like being this big, almost holodeck. Like the, the when they have the the whatever the center hub there is, and then the car is spinning on the back like they did on the show. And then when you come in there, uh, it starts off dark, and then all of a sudden it just becomes whatever this new environment is. Exactly, because like I think that's the or, OR format. Because huh? Because then it's a cool reveal. You go from the first yeah. half of the show where it's just like looks like classic game show, but still like modern. Because you know you have to have little trim lights and you have to have like LED spotlights and all the other flute. Totally. But then when it gets to that final round, like you said, flashing lights all over the place. It looks like you're in space all of a sudden. Wish fulfillment. Wish fulfillment is the phrase I use, which is what what press your luck nowadays is, and the hundred thousand dollar. It's a chance for somebody to, to play for all these prizes. In a very unique and exciting environment. And are you going to make it so the the the, the prices of these things get more and more? Or you want to make it so yes. it's like... It, like I said, it's a tier. The, the lowest price would be, be the cost the least. And then it would go up and up and up. And you, But you wouldn't be buying one prize at a time. You would buying all... Each prize would go into a shopping cart as you earn enough money to buy it. So whenever you get to a decision point, you can take all of these prizes that you've already bought and leave... Or you can keep going. You know, I just you... realized that actually makes a new element to the game because when we look at current con- commerce, it's half of it's done online. So you're saying a digital shopping cart exactly. adds to like, it's yes, we do a showroom and there's still going to be like physical products and the models and mm-hmm. all the demonstration. But this adds to a new element of the game where it's like, congratulations, you got two of these prizes. I bet you want to know what's on number three. What's in tier three? Right. Take a look, and it's like a fam- your family vacation uh, to Tokyo Disney or something. Right. But the, again, these your prizes... Dream car, these your dream car is right there at Tier 4. Right. But I have right. to warn you, if you fail... You if you don't make... If you are not able... If you, if you answer wrong... During the game, you earn money for answering correctly. If you answer incorrectly, you lose money, just like during the regular game. In order to be able to, to move on to the next level and buy anything that you've earned... You have to make forward progress. You have to earn buy and earn enough money to buy the, whatever the next prize is in line. So I'm if guessing you, you want make, it to be like the equivalent of maybe like five to six correct answers in a row, right. like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right. So it'll be like hundred dollars, then it'll be hundred fifty, then two hundred dollars, then two fifty, so on and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you make forward progress, you can keep playing. But once you get to the final round, if you do, if you don't win everything there. If you if you decide to play the final round and don't win everything there, it's all over. You don't get anything. So once you reach that last decision, it's like the original show, like the classic show. You either you will have everything that you've won to that point. You take it, walk, or you try and go for that big prize. It's like that. It's like Monty Hall always used to say: the biggest, the the greatest shows give you this decision, this one moment where you you win or you risk it all. You win everything or you lose everything. You make that one decision point. And that's the th- that's what we want. That's the thing that I want to try and replicate with this show. And obviously, because it's also a century, it's like normal. Like, I could see like fifth tier before you get to that final quarter million. Like, here's the Tesla. This right. is a $125,000 car. You just mm-hmm. need to get, we're giving you $20 a correct answer here. You just need to get about. Five right, but be careful. You get it wrong, you're going to have to do a whole lot of catch-up. You want to be careful. And you don't get as much time. That's the other thing. It's also like press your luck where you don't have as many spins. 
But here in the sale of the century, you don't have as much time to answer these questions. Like starting out, you got like 60, and then you like 50 seconds and 40 seconds and going on. So but mean, the less time you have, the more money you earn for each correct answer. Do you want to take the risk? Do you want to go on? You only need to get three correct answers in 20 seconds. And not only do you get the car, you get the trip, you get the pool table, you get the arcade, well, you, you get here's this. The, here's, the, here's the other thing with that. You also have to keep it. You, at least three correct answers. You have to get to the end of the time. You have to use up all the, the time that we give you. If you go back down under the amount you need, the game is, you don't get it. You don't get it. So you have to keep making for, you have to keep answering questions. You have to run out the time in order to win. It's three correct answers. Three is all we're asking for, and you win it all. And what do you want to do? You have to get at least three right. You need at least this much money, and you have to stay over that until the time runs up. That's what you're looking for. Because I can, I can see that being like a big point in the game, and I would love that. That would be also really fun, final mm -hmm. round. Right. I think that would work also, because I can just imagine, like, because when everyone knows, like, that final round is dream prizes... Mm -hmm. That makes that main round temptations even so much more somewhat sinister, but not really. Because mm -hmm. it's like, hey, I know it's only one three in you. So look, you're in the right. lead right now. Maybe you want to consider taking home uh, this projection television. Maybe you want uh, this Apple suite package with a laptop computer. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know what you're saying. No, you need uh, you need music. You need, here's a Beats by Dre headphone. Uh, here's and just keep throwing in more prizes along the way. Overall, this is almost eight thousand dollars. All you do is hit the button; it's yours. What do you want to do? Mm -hmm. And it just you can it, as long as you have that weird like because that's the moment that made pressure luck work. It's what makes uh, take uh, take your pick work. It's what makes sell mm -hmm. the century work. It's what makes let's make a deal work. It's that that's what right. do I do? Oh no! Oh no! Mm -hmm. That's that. That's the key there. Take take the guaranteed prize you have in your hand. Or risk it and try for something bigger. But with let's make a deal, or even deal or no deal, the something bigger is is usually an unknown and very frequent. You're gambling that you're not going to lose on this. On sale of the century, you're gambling on yourself, on your own ability to play the game and to keep pushing forward and to making good decisions in order to win the, win the ultimate prize. And I think that's what would make it work because... Yeah. This will make it stand out similar to Press Your Luck with the personalized prizes, or if it's me, yes. the million dollars is obviously going to be the end game, but because mine is just kind of just like, here's a box open, because I like that element, the uh, you don't know what's next, but it's that you have like a great prize. What do you want to do? Do you want to risk the car right now for... Honestly, I don't like unknowns for this game. I it, the, thing, the, the whole heart of it is knowing what you're playing for. So I you want that. I honestly, you want to know, like, if you go yes. on tier four. Sale of the century is all about gambling on yourself rather than just on, on unknown stuff. You want to, you want to be able to, you you, you want to bet on yourself. That's the whole thing with sale of the century. Yes, I, I've been playing. I've been looking through the like the bonus board, the match right. format. That's where I go mm -hmm. from. But uh, yes, like that's. I mean, that's kind of where we end up with uh, sale of the century. Uh, there's not really, I mean, there's a lot we can always go into, such as hosting mm -hmm. abilities, theme yeah. songs, uh, jeez, uh, the, the 80s, the, the 80s music is amazing. The class, oh, Absolutely. the, uh, the, uh, the, the tech, the, uh, technology that goes onto the displays when they buzz in, you saw the uh -huh. little windmill and then there's oh, dollar sign check uh, the, the, X. That was one of the, might be one of the coolest things with the show are the buzzers. 
originally had this sort of yeah, you know, the window like almost like a stained glass had these colored patterns on the front of the lecterns at the start of the show. This they took this from the Australian show. The Australian used something similar sort of going forward. They had a had a square pattern stuck on, and then they had something similar to what we finally used you know, after that. But uh, that was quite the first two seasons of our show from 1985 going forward. Then they would have like this gradient pattern would, would go up vertically on, on the front of their uh, their lectern. It was just just really cool. All right. Uh, so I guess the takeaway of Sale of the Century is you have to bet on yourself if you want to win big. It's a confidence game mm-hmm. in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get going, Joe, there's one final question we have. Uh, essentially, I, I think as you already said, it was like, what's your favorite in-game of Sale of the Century? That was kind of what I wrote as the, the in-game. Honestly, honestly, it was the original shopping. But but the way they did it on the uh, the syndicated show, rather than early on, where they had the, the cash jackpot as a separate prize, everybody kept going, just taking getting that and taking it and walking away. On the the uh, the syndicated version of the show, they had it where you had to get everything to get it, and I actually preferred that. I like that because it's a bonus incentive, so it's like yes. you get the cash, you win it all. Yeah. Uh, so, Joe, is there anything else you would like to plug or promote, or <laughs> should we continue uh, with our message from the top of the episode? Honestly, right now we were hoping to do our game show night in Las Vegas in July and August, but unfortunately, because of the COVID nineteen, that's out. So. Uh, we're waiting to hear what the, the Trivia Nationals are going to do. That's the event that we're attached to right now. So uh, just keep an eye out for that. We'll try and get information to everybody when uh, the, the game show night in Las Vegas 2 will be. That'll be part of the uh, the Trivia Nationals, which I think is being attached to SporkleCon, to no, Sporkle's TriviaCon next year in April, I think, is what they're planning. I'm glad that but, Sporkle's uh, getting involved with Trivia. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> And I think when, uh, I think one of the uppers of Geeks Who Drink, which is somebody I work with, by the way, I uh, recently, like a few months ago, was uh, hired as a quiz master for them. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to host for them because of, again, the COVID-19 nonsense. But uh, uh, I think one of their uppers just sort of snuck on, not necessarily snuck on to the, the Facebook group, but uh, I'm think I'm hoping that uh, Geeks Who Drink will want to get involved with us too, because they're a really good group. I I really enjoyed working with them, and I'm hoping that we'll get back to normal so that I'll be able to start hosting quiz for them again. If you work for them, shout out to you guys. So all right, and by the time this episode, I'm sure there'll be an update uh, in in regards to a couple of those things. Joe, yes, sir. Thank you so much again for stopping by and taking. Thank part. you very much for having me, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Joe for stopping by. Uh, please check out the Trivia Nationals whenever they get around to doing it because trivia is always a lot of fun and there's always a fun overlap of what people love in the world of game shows. So please check it out. Uh, since the recording, uh, casinos have kind of been a little on and off, shall we say. So uh, I think Joe is currently back on leave because the casinos closed again but that's not to say that they're not going to reopen in like a week from now or two weeks from now because the way the rate is going it's back and forth back and forth back and forth uh 
but I, I wish him well and I mean I hope he, he still gets his job he has a very fun job he loves what he does so uh, for sale of the century I mean we went through a lot I could have just go through like well you know the fame game you know there's prizes also on that fame board not just money cards uh, there's a, a burglar there's the the, the lockout um, there's a pick again or a cash bailout. There's a lot of different things on that board, but I feel, eh. and for temptation, they did a lot of different things from different game shows in our American version, which was basically wipe out the Pierre Tamarkin game show. But honestly, I, I think what makes sell the century work is those decision points. Now, some people love that you have to go all in. You have to, uh, see if he continues next week. And I think so, for some people, that is what Sale of the Century is. It was the returning champion coming back to try and win the even bigger prize. Uh, for others, it's that decision point of, are you willing to go ba- back into second place for a smaller prize? I think that decision point also works. But the questions are very fun. They're easily playable. I love when Buzzer puts out episodes of Sale of the Century so whenever Buzzer gets the chance, watch Sale of the Century. A lot of the game shows that we talk about in game shows, I suppose, come from that Fremontle library of fun shows. Rather, it's uh, Concentration or Supermarket Sweep. Now, did you know that's on Netflix, by the way? I did not know that. Um, that, like, I to me, a lot of it is a real throwback, and it's, like, a lot of variety in the games. So... Rewatching Sail of the Century, just a ton of fun. Now, me, I like it for like different reasons than everybody else. You know, I talked about the bad set, talked about the fun prizes, uh, the various bonus rounds. I think Sail of the Century falls in that same problem as Hollywood Squares does, where it doesn't know what it wants in a bonus round. Should it even have a bonus round? But uh, I mean, it would not surprise me, and I'm not even kidding. It would not surprise me at all if by the end of the next couple of years, like 2021, 2022, we will get an announcement of Sale of the Century returning to Australia. Not as Million Dollar Minute or whatever, just like actually like Sale of the Century slash Temptation. And it would be not far-fetched to hear that they're going to do an American pilot considering the rate of how game shows are being produced in this country would not surprise me at all if we hear Sail of the Century is coming back as a primetime game show. So anything can happen in the exciting world of game shows. Lots of things were thrown around. And um, honestly, you have to appreciate the technology that came in that board game. That Sail of the Century board game, innovative technology. And I think that's the main thing people remember from it. But here, let me uh, sing the lyrics once again to Temptation, the all-new Sale of the Century, created by Al Howard of Supermarket Sweep fame. You can't hide the temptation. Can you hear the call? You can't hide the temptation. Come on and take it all. Temptation. Do 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 do. 
Are you a fan of the comedy game show podcast, Game Shows, I suppose? Well, then this offer is perfect for you. You can listen to more episodes over at jordanhaas.com slash podcast or on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and other podcast providers. But why stop there? If you love the content provided, you can go to patreon.com slash jordanhaas to get more game show fun. Now, normally this content will be priced at 500 million kajillion dollars, but is yours for just five Patreon dollars. What the fuck is going on with this podcast? Anyway, it's now time for the 110 part series exploring every pricing game from The Price is Right. This is the Pricing Game Spotlight. Bonkers! Premiere date, Bob Barker, uh, September 24th, 2001, number 1871K, year to order, October 1st, 2001. Finale date, Bob Barker, June 12th, 2007, 4032K, premiere date, Drew Carrier, February 19th, 2008, 4212K. Bonkers is a game that combines elements of race game, split decision, and one away, and it's played for one single prize. The contestant is shown an incorrect price with only the digits 3 through 8, and is given 30 seconds to correctly decide whether each digit and its correct price is higher or lower than the one shown. To do this, the contestant is given 4 uh, discs, each of which has to be placed appropriately on the game board above or below the 1 digit. Once all four discs are placed, the contestant presses a button on a separate platform. Any sound effect indicates whether or not the disc are correctly placed if all four discs are placed correctly ding a ding a ding the contestant wins the prize even if one of those four discs is incorrect though an ant noise sounds and the contestant must make changes without being told how many digits are wrong or which ones are wrong this must continue until time runs out or until they have correctly placed the disc if the discs are not correctly placed when time expires, the contestant has lost. If time expires while the contestant's making a change, he or she is usually permitted to finish the change and then confirm the final guess. Likewise, if one of the discs falls out after it's placed, the contestant's usually told not to go back and replace it, just go ahead and hit the button. The best strategy in playing the game is not to look to the audience for help, since key to winning it is simply getting as many guesses in the allotted 30 seconds due to not having feedback on incorrect digits. Once again, we're not told how many are correct or which ones. Drew usually advises the contestants this information. In addition, there is a best way to make guesses. Using a swamping ore inspired by a gray code, the contestant can try all 16 possibilities using only 15 total swaps. So here's some history. Bonkers debuted September 24th, 2001, created by then-host and executive producer Bob Barker. This was a Bob Barker creation, uh, scheduled to premiere September 18th, 2001. It was instead replaced by Range Game. On the first playing of the game, the actual price was revealed with a price tag held by one of the models. It was the game's first win. From the game's second playing onward, the correct price flipped downward from the game's prop after a button is pressed. On at least two occasions, the game malfunctioned, resulting in confusion. On October 17th, 2002, uh, a contestant named Ron made his last second change from the correct placement to an incorrect placement, but the production staff had already signaled a win with the winning bells and the correct placement lighting up. Ron subsequently returned the markers to the correct placement and was signaled with a wrong answer buzzer. 
The prize was ultimately awarded to run after some additional confusion. June 2nd, the light sequence used to start the game, which normally stops as a contestant places disc. Continue the flash. The producers award contestant the prize despite the failure in the game. Uh, Drew states the decision was placed on the potential of the lights confusing the contestant, which also violated CBS's standards and practices since the game sites were not to operate during regular gameplay. On February 12th, 2015, a contestant named David moved the board while playing the game. After losing, the lights still did not turn on, even though it showed proper placement which was the exact opposite of what he had in his last instance. While revealing the price, they thought the machine was unplugged before the lights finally turned on. On April 19, 2016, the second disc fell while putting it in lower part, but it still helped contestant manage to win anyway. Bonkers was played twice in the primetime edition. Both of those times, it was one. First was a salute to the U.S. Marines on June 7, 2002, and the second was on March 27, uh, 2004, a million-dollar spectacular saluting colleges and universities. This game has been won 110 times, and 31 of them occurred when a contestant got it right on the first try. Although it never was used on air, the losing horns were used on June 23, 2015, aired out of order. On October 26, 2016, during Big Money Week, a special cash bonus was added to Bonkers, where a contestant would win $1,000 for every remaining second on the clock. However, uh, contestant Janet won neither prize nor bonus. Uh, March 7th, there was PCH week. On December 28th, 2018, a contestant named Carla got confused by how to play the game with only two attempts and managed to win a kitchen prize worth 6,004. And most of our times was played as 22. Bonkers has never been played for a car. I should point this out. Bonkers is four-digit prizes. Uh, so one digit's in the thousands, one's in the hundreds, one's in the tens, one's in the ones. So you'll see like 58, 70, like three. And it's like, oh, it's five. It's higher or lower than a five. Higher and lower than a six. Higher or lower than a seven. Higher or lower than three. And this all plays while there's this strange music playing in the background. And this weird, like, font that best could be described as Rainforest Cafe. Which I kind of think is kind of funny in a way. It's like, yep, this was clearly the 90s. Um, I enjoy it, though. Because uh, it kind of reminds me a lot of like a faster paced version of car game and with all the numbers in play. And I like that. Um, that's why bonkers is kind of fun. It's like a race game uh, with, with that element of high low in each of the positions of the price, which I, I think is kind of neat. Uh, I don't know if they'll ever do like five digit bonkers, but I mean, th this game kind of works. I enjoy it. And I think bonkers is one of those standout games. Now, uh, international versions, uh, it's called Hurry Up in Netherlands, and it's called Countdown in the Vietnamese version. Um, I think that's about all I can say about Bonkers. What a fun game. I, I think it's just magnets, honestly. I think that's like the only thing I can add. It's like I think those little uh, placeholders are just little like slight magnets. Anyway, next time, we're going to play Pass the Buck on the Price and Game Spotlight. So I normally the second segment I just I just kind of just use it to review a show or 
uh, talk about a new issue in the world of game shows or trends or something fun I saw. And like the last few weeks, I've just been burnt so much. Not because like bad game shows, like look, Ultimate Tag or or Floors Lava or whatever, that's not going to break me to stop a podcast. What breaks me is like all the news about did you know supermarket sweep is on netflix the iconic game show supermarket sweep is on netflix and it's like really it was on amazon prime like a year ago you didn't fucking report it back then hey did you know that supermarket sweep also is on pluto television and on the buzzer channel did you know free model media is planning on making a reboot a supermarket sweep of leslie jones because to me that's all this is leading to and i know that's going to happen we're going to hear the same assholes go and supermarket sweep is being rebooted with leslie jones isn't that great and it's like yeah i talked about that almost like four months ago at this point like I, I'm burnt out on me like doing a news segment and like obviously it, no one's listening at all to that news segment because like I already know half the shit going on right now. Did you know that like uh, that, that we're going to see a revival of Weakest Link and Jane Lynch is the host? That's great. I'm happy that Weakest Link is returning. February, I announced they're doing a Weakest Link reboot, and I was kind of doing the Haas for Host, and every single time I do a Haas for Host, it just ends up being a monkey paw where that show ends up being revived. I found that out the hard way. Rather, it's Card Sharks, you get Joel McHale. Rather, it's The Crystal Maze, Adam Conover. Sweepy get Leslie Jones, Weakest Link, we got Jane Lynch. So, I don't know what the fuck to do anymore. To me, it feels like well, uh, I could always just keep podcasting a game show and just give everyone the free ideas because I'm kind of throwing every secret in the world of game shows at them. Or I could just stop this immediately and just end up just in a, in a blind of rage because it seems to me like there's already like 7,000 game show podcasts out there that mine's no different. Mine's a solo show. Everyone else is with friends and I'm a lonely asshole. So for me to put into this is not really like the end of the world. It just feels like no one's paying attention anyway, so why bother? And I mean, when I started game shows, I suppose that was the idea. No one's listening, so why bother? I'm going to start spewing for two hours about a game show because I don't get that place to talk about a game show for two hours. But now, because I did have that, that moment where I got to talk about game shows for two hours, I learned that uh well no one gives a shit jordan and also i'm going to keep asking the dumb questions if i do or or just ignore you at all together but i know you love game shows and i know people are trying to be nice but i just i it burns me out so i did see all the episodes of market sweep on netflix what a great we're seeing some some mix of variety of the games i'm glad they incorporate the touch screen they showed like the bread center and all that fun stuff but like at the same time why why is this news why is rerun of the game show and news other than there's no new content out there on streaming platforms which there is like a, three weeks ago people were talking about flora's lava Great British Bake Off has repeats right now. 
Taskmaster's coming to CW. It's going to be really fun hearing, have you seen this new game show called Taskmaster on the CW when I did a fucking episode about it? That's what's annoying me about this. It's like, yeah, I know I talked about it. To me, that's the that's what makes me so annoyed. Um, I feel like I feel I know it's like whiny, pissy, moany, and I know people don't like that. That that it sounds like I have a chip on my shoulder, but it, it it's it's one part chip on shoulder and another part just like what's the point? No one no one's really giving me like positive feedback or negative feedback. I'd rather have positive than negative any time. But at the same time, like, so what am I doing this for? Like, am I informing the public about the public isn't here? Uh, am I doing this for my own free will? No, because a lot of these shows suck. A lot of the shows I'm talking about are horrible shows. And then I got to wonder, like, well, who, who created these shows? What's the purpose of the show? And I just, like, keep throwing in all the factors. Like, uh... I, look, I know I'm never going to end up having the success of like Buzzer Blog or Bothers Bar or Game Show News Net, three great places. But at the same time, it's like, well, then what's, what, what am I really, what's my purpose here online? Is it just to like ramble about game shows? Because it seems not to be the case. Is it to tell jokes? Because honestly, like, I don't think I'm that funny. People don't say, lol, you're funny, Jordan, all the time. Uh, is it to be the game show producer, game show host? Because based on what I'm seeing, that will never happen. Why would I never be a game show producer or a game show host? I'm not famous. That's plain and simple. You have to be famous now to be a game show host. That, that's like basic at this point. You can't just be the host host. You have to be like someone with a social media background or a celebrity that the people have made a packaging deal to have you in. So, not me. Producing, pretty much the same thing. Now you have to have been on like three different shows that have been successful before you even become a producer on a major TV show. That It's just like, what the... F-? So, it feels like if I'm going to end up in a game show host uh, or, or a game show a production arena, it's going to be online out of my own pocket and with an audience of six. So I'm almost about to take this time to basically talk about game shows on YouTube because that was a bit on uh, on Funtime Calls, the, the comedy show I do, about uh, game shows on YouTube. And I mean, there's a few good game shows like uh, Jedi Temple Challenge is one of them because there's a budget on that show. There are shows with limited budget that's also very fun. Lateral springs to mind. The Game Garage is one of the best uh, things on YouTube because it's just here are some test pilots and game show testing of these fun formats that we're trying out. And then you have different things like, you know, the Arcade Pit. I, I know that's a fun thing on Twitch and YouTube. That it's like, hmm, do I really want to just keep going with YouTube shows because... YouTube has its own hiccups, which Twitch has its own hiccups, and I just kind of just get fizzled and burnt out by all this, and uh, to me, it's like, um, maybe COVID just ruined all my joy and hope, maybe something else burnt me out, but like, 
Look, look, as as Marie Kondo once said, does it spark joy? And while uh, basically being told every week, hey, Jordan, talk about how much you like X game show. Uh, that does spark joy. It's it's kind of now become the eat the ice cream over and over again burnout. And I was trying to figure out what would be the best way to fizzle this out. And my plan of attack is to talk about my favorite game shows every week until we finish that pricing game spotlight. Uh, so heads up, I've already recorded five episodes of game shows, I suppose, where it's just me talking about my favorite game shows. I'm going to leave them as a surprise for right now. Uh, and hopefully you enjoy them. Or not. I don't I don't know. You're probably not even listening to me right now. I'm probably just the only listener. I mean, I am right now, but that's because I'm recording this as we speak, and it's not like a Twitch show. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is also a good time to say patreon.com slash Jordan Haas for more content, because uh, I'm assuming uh, the way this is going to end up being, uh, Fun Time Calls will be the only real podcast going out. Writing content will be replacing this, and Patreon is going to be where all the new podcasting things are. I don't know how to do game shows, I suppose, after this, but I'm sure if there's like financial, like if there's like a carrot in the stick approach, like there's someone who threw a dollar my way and went, I love what you're doing. I'm listening. Maybe, maybe. I don't, I, I still feel like it's, it's, it feels like a, still like a not necessary, but. I, I think it's just kind of like one of those no one no one cares. Jordan, shut the fuck up. So, uh second segment series. Uh Cannonball made its debut. It's it's fine. Still a fine show. Sweet. Uh oh, uh there's that new show uh that, that was on Netflix. I did not get the full format, so I didn't review it. Uh it is called Crazy Delicious. I saw Crazy Delicious for an episode. I don't I don't really know what the format really is to review it, but the, some of that food looks delicious. So, I mean, I'll give it a shot. It, when I first saw the ads, I thought it was like, oh, like that that cake meme, like everything's a cake. You're, you're making things that look like something into something else. But instead, it's kind of like a fusion challenge show where you mix two weird ingredients and make like spaghetti tacos. Uh, that's fun. Uh, also... Also, I should point this out here. Uh, the question that I had recently was, what does this mean for Hollywood Game Night? Now that Jane Lynch is doing Weakest Link, I think they're going to put an end to Hollywood Game Night soon if Weakest Link does well. I think they're going to get like maybe 13 episodes of, of Weakest Link. Jane Lynch will obviously do very well on that. I think she's a perfect casting call for that. She is an American... Uh, host that's snarky, silly, fun. That it would work as the uh, the the new uh, chairwoman uh, of the weakest link. Um, that it's fun, but I feel like they keep typecasting her as like the Sue Sylvester character from Glee, and I know that she's more than that, and I don't know why they keep doing that. I mean, it just feels like. Um, I guess that's good for for her, Jane Lynch. She gets to uh, keep playing the same similar characters 
and is the definitive role for that. But at the same time, like, could she have done a nicer game show? Does this mean we're no longer going to hear, oh, I'm so sorry, go drink at the bar? She got two Emmys for Hollywood Game Night, so she is a qualified host. So this might be very good. This might be a parallel. But does this mean we're going to get rid of, like, here's the cast of Superstore in the good place and... Hey, I heard you're you're going to be hosting Saturday Night Live. Like, are we getting rid of the promotional consideration show, or are they putting that on the? Uh, they're putting that aside, thinking if we get Sling fails, we can always bring that back, or we can have her do both shows. Personally, personally, here's here's Jordan's take on this. I think Jane Lynch should walk off Hollywood Game Night, and they should get a new host. For Hollywood game night because it seems to me like her being the host has ran its course and it seems like they're they're looking for someone new i know that they had andy cohen host one for new year's and i know they really want to have more celebrity variety why don't you just do that it seems like what they really want to do is just have it be the celebrity variety game show that it's going to go one of two ways Weakest Link does well. Jane Lynch walks away, and Hollywood Game Night gets a new host. Uh, Weakest Link does well. Hollywood Game Night ends because they don't want to have a replacement to Jane Lynch. Or it's going to be Weakest Link fails. We keep Hollywood Game Night with Jane Lynch because we have That's My Jam coming down the pike. Uh, that that I don't... I, that's really weird. And also, I mean, like, Weakest Link is a versatile format. They could easily... Follow the protocol of six feet distance, no audience, and and play it safe. So it's a safe game show to film. I don't know about other game shows. And that's also another thing that's been on my mind. Like, they're filming card sharks right now. So limited audience, probably. Probably even no audience. Uh, They're probably going to make sure you don't scream your head off. Because droplets, you don't want to get Joel sick. Um, And they're probably thinking of doing that for Jeopardy and Wheel. So... At this rate, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss here. I love game shows, but I still feel like everything's a little too soon. And while I appreciate people going back to work and game shows returning with an in-studio product, I, I still feel like we have a long ways to go. And it still feels like nothing's really quite normal. It just feels like just obligatory at this point to me all the game show things is just blurred and i don't really know what to watch anymore anyway so i watched that uh other game show unfiltered on nickelodeon i i was going to do a review of that but it it's uh it's a game show but it's like i I feel like it's in the same premise as sci-fi where it's just like, here's the celebrities in a zoom call behind a green screen and very, uh, I'm not going to say cheap. Cause I feel like that's always mean cause of COVID Jay Farah is a great host, but like, uh, it, uh, it, it's masquerade party, but quick, but at the same time, it's um, it's kind of the almost, I would hate to say too forced, 
the questions asked like are you on a movie are you in a tv show are you a musician so then you the kids can play along and i thought oh that's right this is a kids game show anyway it was the big show on the pilot episode i saw and i thought oh that's fun the big show show uh yeah this is that when i watched that show i'm not like hating on it but i didn't like it either and watching it i think i had like the equivalent of a midlife crisis <laughs> like that's why i'm not gonna review it fully i think it's like if you have kids it'd be a fun show it's it's if you're if you're a parent it's it's safe go watch it with your kids but i'm a grown-ass adult watching a kids network on a show where three celebrities from all that are behind a green screen trying to tell jokes next to jay farah about who's in the zoom call with the silly mask that's a that's a filter and at no point was i giggling or laughing or playing along and i was just kind of reflecting like this is my life this is what i'm doing now and that's why i came to the conclusion of oh that's right i'm putting it into this podcast so this doesn't really become my new reality because like I love game shows, but I think like this show sometimes makes me hate them in a way that it's not supposed to, because I think the show works on so many levels in terms of where we are right now with COVID, with where we are in production wise, where we are with kids in entertainment. It fits all those those uh, those those little boxes to to tick off and. Um, I just am just like I was shaking my head just shrugging. Uh so to me that that's where we're ending the second set segment. Uh supermarket sweeps back, no shit, it's been all over the place and unfiltered made me regret a lot of stuff even though it's a good show. Uh so that that's going to do it. That's how means we are out of time for the week, as we are every week. That's why I'm getting so very, very tired. Anyway, we are available on every podcast platform, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, you name it. We're probably there. Feel free to rate and review the show. Let me know what you think. What game shows you want me to talk about? And if you missed the statement, we are near the end of the Prison Game Spotlight and the end of the series. So that's going to be a lot of fun. If you want more game show talkabouts, uh, feel free to join me at patreon.com slash jordanhaas for a lot of content. Follow me on Twitter at jordha, J-O-R-D-H-A. There is the Game Show's Pod, Game Game Show's Podcast over at Facebook as well. But, uh, you know, it's no big deal. Anyway, uh, so this is going to be it for the night. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join me next week when I'll be talking about another great game show. I suppose it's going to be Hot Streak next week. Until then, good night and big smooch. Mwah!